Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the biggest Wrestle Kingdom of them all. It's Wrestle Kingdom 12. Omega versus Jericho. Okada versus Naito. Kyush, how fired up are you that it's finally Wrestle Kingdom season again? Boys and girls, we finally reached that time. That time of year, that magical time of year for me. Once we hit December... Like, and whatever it is that we're covering, I'm just like, this is fine, this is fine. But in the back of my mind, I know that my day is coming, and it's here. This is my Christmas. This is wrestling Christmas for me. Yeah, we did an entire season of 1989 WCW to get to this. Literally, like, it's like in December, Steve starts, like, cashing in checks because he knows that Wrestle Kingdom's coming, yeah. so I won't say anything about it. <laughs> I'm like, what's the most Southern shit I can make you watch? <laughs> 1989 WCW it was. Yep, and I fucking loved that, and I you'll fucking enjoy, loved you'll this. Enjoy, you'll enjoy next year where we watch, like, the entire Great American Bash tour from 1986. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> But yeah, we're going to cover the biggest Wrestle Kingdom of them all. But first, we have an insane amount of news to cover. We took one week off, and we have, like, a month's worth of news to cover, it feels like. This might be the busiest news week I can ever remember. Not like the most gigantic news in the world, but like we couldn't leave any of this stuff out. Yeah. So instead of usually we cover kind of three discrete stories here, we're just going to have three sections, each covering you know one of the major, the three big promotions. So we're going to start with all of the AEW news and let's. I don't know where to start here. We've got a new AEW champion. The devil was revealed. We've got a winner in the Continental Classic. The TNT title somehow changed hands twice. Chris Jericho is in big trouble. Lots of things have happened. Let's try to go chronologically. First, John Moxley beat Swerve Strickland and Jay White to get to the finals of the Continental Classic. And on the same show, Eddie Kingston upset Brian Danielson to win the other spot in the finals, completing a remarkable comeback for Eddie after he started 0-2. It's so funny because of all the time that we had been spending being like, oh, this tournament's about Danielson, and or maybe it's about Jay White. We really missed the forest for the trees because yeah. it's so clear in retrospect that this whole thing was about Eddie Kingston. <laughs> Yeah, this has made Eddie a megastar now. And, of course, the guy who had the belt. Seems silly that we thought the guy who put his belts on the line wasn't even going to get to the finals. Yeah, I I got so sure in my head that he was going to turn heel. But, no, he didn't. Now he's just a top baby face. (laughs) So, at the pay-per-view, Edge beat Christian to win the TNT title and then kill Switch gifted his title shot to his father, Christian, who won back the belt immediately. That was rather stupid, to be honest. It was. Um, I don't really know, because like it seems like now we're going to continue on with this storyline, which I don't think anybody wants. Like It's been a perfectly fine storyline, but it doesn't have more legs in it. I hope to God this doesn't end with a ladder match, but doesn't it feel like that's where this is going? Yeah, I was sure this was going to be the ladder match. I don't think they can blow it off without a ladder match, considering it's these two, right? Uh, Kingston beat Moxley to win the Continental Classic and the AEW Triple Crown. Like we said, unbelievable comeback for Eddie. To have in this calendar year 
Eddie had beaten three men that he's never beaten in his entire life. Claudio Danielson and Moxley. Yeah. Like it's just such a, like a coronation of him as like, he's for real now. He's not shithole little Eddie who will never make it to the top. He's at the top. No, he's the continental champion. He's the guy AEW is going to send around the world to represent them. Like the odds that he's going to show up at Wrestle Kingdom and challenge the winner of that triple threat match is basically 100%, I would imagine. Um, And in the main event, Samoa Joe choked out MJF to win the AEW title, and then the devil was revealed to be Adam Cole. Now, let's talk about the Joe part first. I'm really grateful that Joe beat MJF's fucking ass and tapped him out before the devil shenanigans started because he really needed to, like, we don't need to, like, mince words around Joe. Joe doesn't need help to beat MJF. Nope. No, especially not, you know, broken down, beat up MJF, who's been systematically isolated from all his friends by the devil. And, like, it's nice. Like, that's a good storytelling, is for, like, a broken down baby face. An MJF who sold everything that he always said that he would never do, wrestling twice on shows and being yeah. heard and still showing up. And he finally ran up against Joe and like, yeah, this is why you don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I love the Joe part of this. This is an unbelievable, you know, we were talking about Eddie's comeback. What an unbelievable comeback for Samoa Joe, who I thought was done when he left WWE. And he's he ready to totally retire. Revived. Yeah. Totally yeah. rejuvenated. Now, turns out not having to wrestle, you know, 200 matches a year does a lot for a guy's body. Especially a guy like Joe, like Joe should have always been a guy who like, like the way that they used MJF, you don't see him wrestle all the time, but when he does, he can like go a hundred miles per hour. Like that's that the idea that like all the promotions who've ever had him have just ground him into dust is so fucking stupid. Uh, The devil being Adam Cole, obvious, probably the right move. I don't, I don't know. I don't really feel like there's anyone else. It could have been who would have been satisfying. No, and if we remember that this was going to probably be revealed like months ago if Adam yeah. Cole hadn't gotten hurt, like, I can't hold that against them. Like, it is what it is. Like, uh, having Wardlow be part of the group, yeah. sh- sure, he's not sure. doing shit, why not? Um, Having the kingdom be part of it, I don't fucking care. They Fine, <laughs> I just, yeah. yeah, they're awful. Like, it's, hopefully this makes them more serious, because this Roderick Strong stuff has been a can like, a cancer in AEW. I get, really everything in the MJF universe that wasn't him and Cole growing out has been absolutely horrible since the summer. Let me ask you this. And like, it's a difficult question to answer, I think, but like, I understand how high the highs were with Adam Cole and MJF and MJF's face turn. Do you think it was a bad idea? Yes. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because just, every the the opportunity like look what it like it really cost a lot like those were fun segments and that was a good match at all in but lots of other things could have headlined all in and it's and every, MJF has not been a good baby face. Here's the thing too is that MJF it's I don't think that it's his fault necessarily he hasn't really been given much to do especially since that storyline was supposed to be accelerated far quicker than it was. So he's just kind of been lame duck this whole time. But also, like, what made MJF special is that you only got to see him wrestle every so often. Like, when he showed up, it was like, oh, this is big news. This is important. 
And like now that he's been wrestling on every fucking show, he's been overexposed. He really Massively. has. And yeah. it broke and it broke his body down. He's got a torn labrum and sounds like he's going to be out for a while. And like looming over this and like we're both pretty skeptical of it, but like the idea that he might be a free agent coming up soon, mm-hmm. we don't know. Yeah. Like maybe this is a good excuse to get the belt off of him and he doesn't have a torn labrum and he'll show up at the Royal Rumble. We don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> Yeah, my suspicion is there's like he could just name his price from AEW because I don't think they can afford to lose him. So I don't think he's going anywhere. But who knows? WWE getting aggressive right now. Um, The other big news, we've got vague allegations against Chris Jericho. This is very this is all very strange. He was. Probably drunk tweeting about NDAs related to the all out fight on Christmas night. <laughs> yeah. What a sad, sad, sad man. Um, Nick Houseman responded asking Jericho about, quote, the NDAs he makes people sign. And then on a podcast a few days later, Houseman compared Jericho to Harvey Weinstein, which is uh, one of the worst things you can call someone. I'd say basically one step above Jeff Epstein is uh, how low Harvey Weinstein is on the, you know, scale of awful people in America. And uh, in a business where there are a lot of people you literally could compare to Jeffrey Epstein, there's really no allegations against Chris Jericho that are to that level. Not at not all. That, not that Chris Jericho is a wonderful man who we like because he's not, but like not like that. And you get you get and he took literally until today to take like I guess the, the houseman is kind of recanting it now. And I'm just like, really? Yeah, there's other people like there are so many other. If your point was just like, oh, people act like Chris Jericho's a good dude and he's not. There's lots of other people you could compare him to other than Harvey. Like Harvey Weinstein is not the first example you go to of someone who seemed like a nice guy who was actually a bad person. There's a lot. You could have been like Chris Jericho's like CM Punk in that he tries to act like a nice guy, but he's actually a dick. That would have maybe made more sense. Or maybe Hulk Hogan, the man yeah. who Chris Jericho has literally patterned the last 10 years of his career after. Now, that said, everyone immediately made the jump that this is about Kylie Ray. I got to be honest, I don't really know who Kylie Ray is. I don't remember her. Yeah, she was from right at the beginning of AEW. Uh, she was an indie girl. And then one day, mysteriously, she quit the company. And she bailed basically on the entire wrestling industry for a long time. And we knew that something had happened, but like it wasn't really widespread as to what exactly it was. The suggestion here, and this is pure speculation by people, is that Chris Jericho had like called her to his hotel room saying like, hey, kid, I'm going to help you with your career. And then sexually propositioned her. And that made her so uncomfortable that she bailed out of the company. I don't know what happened. None of us know what happened. She's not talking about it. She she liked a tweet is something like the recent development. Like if she's not going to come out and say anything, then there's not anything. And the people dragging her into this, which like if something did happen to her that was traumatic and she didn't want to talk about it, leave her the fuck alone. 
Uh, look, yeah, people try like don't try to like you can not like Chris Jericho as a wrestler or person and like not drag Kylie into this if she doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, and that's really what it is. It's just like, and there's no new information. Like them asking Tony Khan at the press conference if he had like done an investigation, if there's any new information. This shit is five years old, and it might not even be real. Though, of course, Tony Khan was wearing a silly hat and sunglasses during that. (laughs) God, what is this man? Like, why is this guy like this? Like, the just absolute lack of common sense this man has. Knowing he had to know he was going to be asked about this. When Jericho got booed that heavily on the show, you knew somebody was going to actually do some journalism. Which, man, that's a real change for these AEW press conferences to have a legitimate real question instead of why was the show so great and when are you coming back to Long Island? Um, the fu- the funniest part of it is that like literally this happens because the press conference segment right before is the Tony Storm one that was her hat and glasses and then she puts it on them because she's kooky and whatever and he was probably just like oh this is silly but because that was the women's wrestling segment yep. of course that's when the question's gonna be asked yeah so he was asked both about like the company's safety policies which he just said that he thinks they have the best safety policies blah blah blah. And then he was specifically asked, like, has there ever been an investigation into Chris Jericho? And he didn't say yes and he didn't say no. He just said he wasn't going to respond to, you know, unsourced allegations on social media. You can read into that how you want. I do think if it was me and the answer was no, I would have said no. And if the answer was yes, but he was cleared, I would probably say yes, but he was cleared. And I mean... More realistically, if the answer was yes, and he wasn't necessarily cleared, but it wasn't bad enough that we were actually going to fire him over it, maybe that's why you don't give a yes or no answer, because it's complicated. (laughs) That's probably the situation we're in here. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) nobody's talking about it. They may not be legally allowed to talk about it. So it was honestly just like a stupid Thing that everyone got obsessed with for a week but for that to have happened like immediately before one of their pay-per-views yep. is just so humiliating that's this, to that's this company's luck isn't it like when mjf like when like wrote that like players tribune article <laughs> and it's literally like every time i've ever done anything significant some yes. dickhead has ruined it for me mjf curse there you go baby just if you start rattling off AEW pay-per-views, it feels like every single one of them had some massive backstage incident overshadowed it for two, since Brawl, since probably going back to the Labor Day one or the uh, Double or Nothing back in tw- the one with Punk and Hangman, where you know yeah. what you know the, we had the initial weirdness of that promo kind of hanging over it. From then on, it feels like every single one of their pay-per-views has had something overshadow it, whether it was a major injury or a backstage controversy of one kind or another. It's just all and to have all of this have started because Jericho's just like drunk on wine yeah. at home and like tweeting a bunch of bullshit. For no like, reason, like, why the fuck are you? Why are you digging up Brawl out again? This company has got to move past that. And like the funny thing is, they've literally made Brian Danielson's job to like like find people for doing that yeah. exact thing. So you know Danielson was waiting for him when he got to the building. Yeah, that's a fine player. <laughs> All right, 
Shall we move on to WWE? Yep, let's do it. I'm going to do this in, honestly, just kind of a random order. First, Kevin Dunn is gone. Gone. Ding dong, the witch is dead. One of WWE's longest tenured and most powerful executives. I didn't even realize he had been there since, like, 85. I was thinking he didn't come in until the early 90s. But this man is literally the last of the old guard in the company, and he's gone. The, the fact that he escaped, like, the scathing, the scouring of the WWE offices, like, is kind of wild. Um, I don't know who it was who, like, maybe he had some sort of ironclad contract or something that they had to wait for it to run out. I'm not actually sure. But, like, this man needs to fucking go. <laughs> I mean, he's been WWE's director for as long as any of us have been watching wrestling. His style of presentation is the basis for wwe and really all of american wrestling now there's like the way it's shot is the kevin dunn style like all the other directors in american wrestling are people who trained under him and i do want to make this clear kevin dunn deserves his flowers for inventing the wwe style for making it look the way that sticks in your brain that like has like he's seen it through all these different eras and helped like come up with all these creative ideas. The man is a hall of fame level talent for sure. But in much the same way that Vince needed to hang it up 20 years ago. So too did Kevin Dunn because it's not good now. (laughs) Yeah, of course he's despised by wrestling fan by internet fans. Some of that is legitimate criticism of WWE's presentation. And some is just people parroting Jim Cornette because they, staggering amount of you know what internet wrestling fans believe is based on jim Cornette shoot interviews from 20 years ago that is wild isn't it and like, <laughs> like the, the it's like i was thinking about this it's like the seminal texts of like internet wrestling fandom it's like jim Cornette shoot interviews and the death of wcw book and even the wrestle and the wrestle craft website like most of what everybody quote unquote knows about pro wrestling i feel like comes from those things even though most of that is bad <laughs> like those jim Cornette shit interviews are a lot of fun but they're just full of him shitting on people for no reason I, the death of wcw book is actively a bad book filled with wrong information i'm very interested to see how wwe's presentation changes with him gone but i kind of suspect it won't because it's just so built like they're not i mean whoever takes over it's going to be someone who learned from kevin dunn there is no outsider to bring in they're not bringing in the new like whoever directs new japan that's not happening no and like and that's okay like there's some things that can be changed that would be for the better like god less camera cuts the camera cuts is the major thing but like if you want to look at what the change would probably look like, all you have to really look at is like what NXT looked like yeah. when Triple H was in charge. Maybe a little darker, maybe uh like a few less cuts, maybe like backstage things that aren't like as cartoony. That's all you can really point to and say that might be different, but those are all positive changes. So the other stuff going on, their holiday tour was a staggering success. They did their largest house show gate ever uh, for the Madison Square Garden show with Punk's return match. Uh, 1.2 million? Yeah. That's insane for a house show. 
And like not just the Madison Square Garden one, but like we've talked Baltimore. a little bit throughout the course yeah. of this year that like they're the gates are the difference because we don't have pay-per-view numbers to track and ratings are down across the board. There's nothing you can say about that. <clears throat> the way that you know this is a wrestling boom is because they're putting asses in the seats at a, a level insane. they've maybe never done. <laughs> Nine, 99 2000 is i think the only time i can compare it to they're like just the sheer number of 10,000 plus gay 10,000 plus paid fans this year is stunning and then frequently going even bigger than that with stadium shows too i oh yeah yeah like that was WWE's problem for years. You recall, like we we were on this podcast for a very long time, being like, man, they should just close down these house shows. They're drawing 500 yeah. people, or SmackDown's getting 2,000. This is humiliating. Now, fuck, <laughs> they're yeah, drawing out the S. Wild numbers they're putting up. Um, That's the truest sign that people care about your product is that they actually leave their house to come see it. And then last night. Smack in the middle of, I don't know, maybe it was it after the Rose Bowl was over. The Rock showed up on Raw, which, sure, cool, fine. And then he teased a match against Roman Reigns and shit which got Which changes yeah. everything. Yeah, well, it was just like, oh, The Rock is here yucking around. Because once again, he was on College Game Day promoting the new Universal or United, I think it's the United Football League, the merged USFL, XFL, which is probably part of why he's coming back to wrestle, because he's got to promote his football league. But I just love the idea that for the second appearance in a row, he was at college game day, and then somebody was like, hey man, uh, WWE's in the same town today, you want to go there? Yeah, coincidentally, he was at college game day, which was at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and WWE was in San Diego, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's, you know, an hour or whatever. Easy drive for the big man. And he comes out. They do this tease where, like, oh, a WWE champion is coming. And I everyone thinks Rob Van Dam. Yeah. And then uh, Jinder Mahal comes out. Hilarious. Everyone, everyone boos, hates that shit. And then the fucking Rock comes out. Yep. And, of course, you know, he does his promo. He shits on Jinder, blah, blah, blah. But then he asks the fans, he's where's he? He's going to go out to eat. Should he sit in a booth? Should he sit at the bar? And I love how no one had any, like, I, nobody had any idea where this was going. No. As far as I, like, I was like, what the fuck is, the, what the fuck is he about to say? And he goes, or should the rock sit at the head of the table? And the crowd and explodes. The cr- oh, insane. This is one of the biggest pops I've heard in 20 years. Like, because people didn't know where he was going with it. But also, I think we had all just kind of let go of the idea off. that that was ever going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it was like if it was going to happen, it was going to happen last year was kind of my thought. Although we talked a few months ago that, you know, the Hollywood strike and the delayed production schedules did open up the possibility of The Rock wrestling. And this is last call, right? Like this is he can't he's getting so old. He's not going to be able to get in the ring again after this year, I don't think. He's got one more match. He's going to put over Roman. Maybe he wrestles uh, in Australia, too. But yeah. he's got one more big match. He's going to put over Roman and walk off into the sunset. And that's perfect. Awesome. Like that's, that's perfect. You would think a match of this magnitude has to happen at WrestleMania. But it's worth noting that the Australian government did ask if they could get The Rock when they put in their bid for the Elimination Chamber show. This so he's is probably going to be on that. I'm sure he'll appear on that show, and he might even wrestle. They might, you know, have mention have him in a tag match against like Roman and Solo or something. 
I just find it fascinating that like the way this all probably comes together is that they're negotiating with the rock. Cause like Australia wants you rock. You want to come make an appearance, do something. And then the rocks may be kicking around like, well, I mean, I could maybe wrestle. I've been, you know, they're like, what? And so they're, then they're like, Roman, Roman, you're going to wrestle Roman at WrestleMania, right? That's okay. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. And finally, Rock is like, you know what? Yeah. I'll fucking do it. Time. Let's fucking go. Yeah. It's, it's the right moment. You know, the stars align and we get the biggest match ever. Sorry, Un- Cody. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. Is there going to be backlash? Also, sorry, Punk. Maybe you don't get the main. Maybe you don't get to main event the first night because. Maybe they have Roman work twice. Maybe Roman wrestles Rock Saturday and Cody Sunday. I want you guys to think. We talked before about, like, if Cody doesn't come to WWE, what the fuck does current WWE even look like? Like, what what WrestleMania main event could you even imagine there being? Now suddenly there's three. Now suddenly you have Rock, Punk, and Cody. Yeah. And now, so, like, you have an embarrassment of riches now. Like, you can do anything. Roman can wrestle twice. Punk and could main event one and Rock and Roman could do with the other. I just hope that Cody doesn't get frozen out of this whole thing because like, it's clear that he along with Roman is what has sparked this gigantic yeah. boom. Yeah. He's and, the top baby face. Roman's the top heel. Like he is very, and he's the one who's actually on the road every making right. every town working main events in Toledo, Ohio, and Saginaw, Michigan, and every other godforsaken city in this country. I just want to make it clear that we're going to look back years from now, and we're going to, like, study this Cody Rhodes thing and be like, he's, like, the only proven draw to have been made in the last five years. Yeah. And he's probably single-handedly rescuing their house show business rescuing their paid attendance at tv shows and stuff like we've never seen one man move the needle in this way and he might be the last guy to ever do this on this kind of schedule because who knows if house shows i don't think house shows are going to continue in their current form i think they're going to stop running a lot of these small towns and scale back their touring business yeah so like it's not that Cody has to finish the story at WrestleMania. Roman could beat the rock and then Cody can beat him at SummerSlam yeah. or some shit. That's it's not to say that's going to happen regardless of when it happens. And if you did the rock match instead, then Roman can break Hogan's record for like his yeah. reign. And then Cody can beat him at SummerSlam and that works. So you can kind of have the best of both worlds. I don't know. I, as long as Cody gets this moment, I don't really fucking care when he gets it. I just don't want to go another year. And finally, New Japan. Um, Wrestle Kingdom is supposed to be this week. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday night. It's supposed to be um, you know, Thursday, early hours of Thursday morning in the United States, you know, Thursday evening in Japan. Um, unfortunately, it's been overshadowed by the earthquake that hit Japan this week. Um, seems It sounds like the show is going on. I haven't heard anything about it being canceled. It sounds like that the earthquake and the tsunami are not nearly as devastating as we were afraid that they might be. Good. So it might be okay. Um, the big thing about the wrestle kingdom show though, is that this is all built on a holiday where everyone travels across the country. This is basically yeah. like the go on a vacation holiday of the yeah, year. It's like, the, it's like doing a show the week between Christmas and new years in the United States. Yeah. 
Uh, so, like, really the worry is, like, are people going to be so afraid to travel that they're not going to leave, like, their home city and, like, go to Tokyo to see this show? So, like, don't – it's not really – I'm not really concerned that it's not going to happen. I'm more concerned that they're going to, like, not have 10,000 people that they would have. Yeah. Um, so, the card, we've got Sonata versus Naito for the IWGP title, Okada Danielson 2 – uh, Will Ospreay versus John Moxley versus David Finley for the new global title. Uh, Zack Saber versus Tanahashi for the TV title. Anything else really significant? Uh, nothing that's hugely significant. Uh, El Desperado versus Hiromu Takahashi. They're like lifelong rivals, so like that's going to be a pretty good match. Uh, there will be like five other matches that are just throwing a bunch of people on the card. That's perfectly fine. Um, but it's really it's mostly those top two matches, and this is sort of the changing of the guard thing. Um, a lot of those young new guys that they're pushing the shit out of are getting like highlighted matches on this show. Like Yoda Suji is wrestling Oimata and, uh, um, they're doing a thing where like Noah has partnered with, uh, Shota Umino to like do their thing. There's just a lot of moving parts to this. I'm not sure this is going to be the greatest wrestle kingdom ever. Um, it's definitely going to be one that we're going to look back on though and be like, Oh, that's where a lot of stuff started. Yeah. It's they're just they're in a rebuilding phase and that's okay. Every wrestling company goes through this. New Japan just tends to do it better and faster than most other companies. The funny thing is that like they're a little bit stable as a company while everything else in Japan is on fire right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So all Japan is working with WWE right after there was this agreement that all the Japanese companies we're going to work together to fight WWE, right? Yes. It's not explicitly Japanese stated. Japanese pro wrestling, just like American pro wrestling. We're going to form an alliance and then everybody's immediately going to betray each other. All Japan has a new president who yeah. literally in one of the first things that he did, like did this backstage vignette where he's like, has like a bunch of hot girls hanging off of him. And then he gets a phone call from Shawn Michaels about Jesus having Christ. an NXT wrestlers going to come in at least he didn't and do I a don't, line of cocaine i mean it was implied <laughs> <laughs> and like maybe there's room in this to have like braun breaker come over and wrestle for the tv title or something like that but instead they get william regal's kid who's a jobber in yeah. nxt and he's getting an immediate triple crown title shot that's bizarre and- the fans are so mad about this that when the president came out at their last show, they booed the shit out of him. Doesn't seem like something the Japanese fans would typically do. Whereas in America, whereas in America, we just sort of expect that. Oh, it's very unusual. But like, it's not just, it's not just that this WWE guy is coming in and like getting this match, but like to like be so thoroughly throwing yourself under the boot of WWE and be like, oh yeah, give us one of your jobbers and we'll put them over all our top guys. Absolutely. It's just so humiliating. And after they had spent a year really digging themselves out of the trash and becoming a, a worthwhile promotion again, so their booker just straight up quits. <laughs> Yikes. In protest. Uh, a bunch of the wrestlers threatened to quit in protest. A bunch of the staff bail. Like this, ooh, it's not great, guys. And what just happened with Ibushi? Okay, so Pro Wrestling Noah just put on their biggest show of the year, yeah. and there's a lot of controversy within the promotion because their GHC Heavyweight Championship was not the main event. Instead, a dream match, or instead they loaded up the card with New Japan people, and then they had the main event be Noah, 
Naomichi Marafuji versus Kota Ibushi and Ibushi's first singles match in Japan since 2020. That's all a big deal, but the Noah wrestlers are fucking pissed because like they're like, we really we can't have our own show without a bunch yeah. of New Japan dudes and Ibushi. Like well, our title no, can't be can't. in the main event. No, it's fucking stupid. Be. And then Ibushi wrestles the match. He has a broken ankle. Yeah, that's like, awesome. Abushi is not healthy enough to wrestle and might never again be healthy enough to wrestle. He's been a shell of himself ever since he came back. And they go 35 minutes of a very bad match, like a horrifyingly bad match because he can't do anything. And then at the end of it, he can't even stand up because he like breaks the other ankle trying to support the bad one. Yikes. Like it's a disaster. It sounds a humiliating like a injury. I mean, it is. Realistically, he needs to retire. Like, he needs to be done. Like, he should not be wrestling anymore. It's horrifying. But also, like, the new the Noah wrestlers were so mad that two of their top guys, Jake Lee and Kato Kiyomiya, came out while Ibushi was about to cut his, like, end-of-the-night promo and, like, told him to leave instead. And then they cut the end-of-the-night promo. Wow. All right, and we didn't. We didn't even. There's so much other stuff going. We didn't even talk about the Iron Claw. Like, this is crazy. Like, we could do a whole show just on this, but unfortunately, we have that's not what you want to hear. That's not what you want to hear. You sick perverts. You want to hear about Wrestle Kingdom, don't you? I want to hear about Wrestle Kingdom. Let's fucking do it. All right, we're gonna turn the clock back to 2018. Um, First. So we did last year, the beginning of last year, we did Wrestle Kingdom 11, which was from the beginning of 2017. That was where Okada beat Omega in that match that Dave Meltzer gave six stars. And I don't know, somehow that was the beginning of modern wrestling, I feel like. Oh, absolutely it was. And in many ways that we only just now are starting to realize that it was. Of course, the day after Wrestle Kingdom, Okada beat Omega to retain the IWGP title, which I don't think was a big surprise. I don't think anybody really expected Kenny to win there. No, Omega was not ready for that spot. Really, they just used Kenny as like a placeholder because they had nothing better to do. And It then was that basically the up. Okada white boy challenge is what they were doing there. Yeah, they just wanted a guy to represent the potential North American expansion yeah. of New Japan. And Colonial this show, sphere. Yeah, this show was about nothing but the North American expansion of New Japan. Oh boy, we sure did get that New Japan exp- American expansion. It was just called AEW. And yeah, New we're going to go into a lot got of that. fucked. Yep. All right, the day after Wrestle Kingdom, they did the New Year's Dash show. So, oh, the day after Wrestle Kingdom, they always do. It's it's a show, but it's not a huge show. Like, it's in a much, it's not in the Tokyo Dome. It's in a much smaller arena. But this is where they, like, kick off the spring, like, kick off the beginning of the year. Usually there's a debut or a return or a heel turn or a couple times the leader of Bullet yeah. Club got kicked out and replaced by somebody here, Minoru Suzuki returned to New Japan and attacked Okada. Okada would subsequently retain the title over Suzuki at New Beginning in February. That's just a nice, like, get the, that's a, that's very much a B title match for Okada. 
Absolutely. What they have in mind is that they already know that they want this to be the greatest title reign in the history yeah. of this belt. So they're just trying to load him up with like big defenses that he can have under his belt for credibility. Uh, the New Japan Cup, which is a single elimination tournament to crown a number one contender, was won by Shibata to get a shot at Okada. They wrestled at Genesis in April. Okada beat him. This, I believe, is the match where Shibata headbutted Okada so hard his nose bled and he had brain bleeding and had to retire, except, I don't know, they cured brain damage and now he's back. <laughs> um, yes, this is that match. Uh, this is, by some people's estimation, one of the greatest matches in wrestling history. Um it certainly becomes more dramatic when you realize that Shibata literally tried to kill himself to win this belt. Yeah, this was the epitome of I hated it five stars. Yeah, I hate this match. I hated this is kind of coming at the tail end of like a lot of these. We talked about some of these matches here in the past, but like these matches where people are like literally being like, I'm the toughest man alive. I can headbutt you 100 times and take 500 clotheslines. And it's like. It's weird that like the Jim Cornettes of the world never say anything about that because that yeah. goes it goes so disgustingly too far at one point and they've really scaled it back since then. Like those headbutts are probably worse than chair shots. Oh my god, yes. Like, just don't imagine hauling off and headbutting someone as hard as you possibly can. And you can get away with it sometimes, mm. but like in this match, they both do it like a hundred oh. times. And like, Okada, the thing that is crazy to me about that is that like, all right, you want to do that for your mid card belt with like your Ishii's and your Godos. I don't like it. Not a okay. good idea, but yeah, different. This company yeah, is about the franchise. Yeah, it's this like, it's like you sack Tom Brady in practice. It's just nuts. Like, why would you risk Okada in this way? Uh, uh, at pro wrestling, Dontaku Okada beat Bad Luck Fale, which Bad Luck Fale is the epitome of a B challenger. Oh, he is the B challenger, yes. But he's so but, big. Yeah, he had gotten a few wins over Okada the previous year when he was going through his depression yeah. phase, so he was like at least a little bit credible. Uh, that set us up for a massive Okada versus Omega rematch at Dominion in June. They went to a 60-minute draw as Okada hit the Rainmaker seconds before the time limit, but he couldn't cover Omega before the bell rang. Okada retained on the draw, but he was unable to actually defeat Omega. This is a humiliating thing for Okada, because like his whole thing is that like I am now the greatest wrestler who ever yeah. lived. I can beat anybody. And basically during this reign, he does. He beats every credible challenger there could possibly be one after another. But the one man he doesn't beat is Omega. Also on that show, Tanahashi beat Naito in a rematch from Wrestle Kingdom to win back the Intercontinental Championship. Got to get that belt off uh, Naito because he's going much bigger places. Yeah. It's so funny that like, Naito seems like the subtext of all of our discussions about these shows, when in reality, he is the most important thing happening in New Japan right now to New Japan's actual fans. Yeah. So all that matters to them is what's going on with Naito. So we're into the summer. That means it's G1 time. Um, Omega and Okada were paired in the same block. And Omega beat Okada. 
Of course, the title's not on the line in the G1, but Omega beat him. And as a result, he ended up winning the block by a point. Um, Huge win for Omega to beat Okada at this point. Oh, huge. Because he'd never actually scored a win over the man to this point. Yeah. He had just been really impressive in defeat and then taken him to the time limit. And did they wrestle again in any on a significant level again after this? I'm not sure they did until Dominion when the following year, which is obviously the match. Yeah. Naito won the A block um, over Tanahashi. And then we had Naito versus Omega in the finals for the right to challenge for the title at Wrestle Kingdom. Naito beat Omega. So we're set for Naito versus Okada. Now, that G1 final is really fascinating because everything in this company is revolving right now around a decision that they have to make. And the basic decision is this. Naito is one of the most popular wrestlers they've ever had in the history of this promotion. He is a no-fucking-brainer main eventer for Wrestle Kingdom. He's the guy. But they are becoming obsessed with North American expansion. And they realize, rightly, that Omega is their ticket to that. Yep. And so going into that G1 final, all of us understood that whoever they choose for that is their choice for this is the new guy. This is the direction we're taking. Is it going to be the expansion or is it going to be for their actual Japanese fans? And when Naito won, we all kind of were like, oh, cool. All right. So they chose that. Naito's going to win at Wrestle Kingdom. Omega thing, like he'll do his other thing. All good. Hmm. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> So let's wind the clock back all the way to 2014 when a seemingly innocuous event would proceed to define the careers of everyone involved. Wrestle Kingdom 8, Naito won the G1 that summer too to win the right to challenge Okada for the title. The problem was Naito sucked and everyone hated him. Yep. (laughs) So... We're coming to a Wrestle Kingdom that year where we've got Okada Naito for the world title and um, Tanahashi Nakamura for the Intercontinental title, which is a way bigger match in the minds of the fans. So New Japan decides, okay, let's let the fans vote on what the main event should be, whether it should be the IWGP title or the Intercontinental title match. And something like 80% of the fans vote for the Intercontinental title match. As well they should, because as you said, it's a much bigger match. Nakamura has made the IC title almost as big as the IWGP title at this point. Like, it's a no-brainer. No one cares about Naito Okada. Of course, that sets off, like, the next round of the Okada-Tanahashi feud. That's the next two Wrestle Kingdoms are them settling their beef. Naito has to go on the lamb and leave the country. They send him on excursion for a second time. Yep, they send him on excursion for a second time to Mexico. And, like, he's not really there for that long. It's literally just an opportunity. They send him there to be like, look, whatever you're doing is not working. You need to find something new. Whatever it is, just figure out something that's actually going to work. Because this stardust genius baby face shit is not going well. Yeah. I mean... Is Rocky Maivia the right comparison? 
I think it's a perfect comparison. Like yeah. this is a squeaky clean white meat baby face. And like, maybe it's not a perfect comparison because we had seen Naito grow, be part of a tag team, come through the dojo. It's like if Rocky Maivia had like worked his way up steadily from the bottom to the main event. And when he got there, they still hated him. <laughs> yeah. So while he's in Mexico, he gets in with the Ingobernables. I have trouble saying this word. Yeah, the Ingobernables crew. Yeah, like so Andrade is down there as La Sombra at the time and Roosh and them. And they're doing this thing in CMLL called Los Ingobernables where they're just being like rebellious and like yeah. no one can tell us what to do and the tranquilo shit. And they induct Naito into the group um, because he's just kind of aimless down there. So he brings that whole style back with him and it becomes Los Ingobernables de Japan and that's what gets over. So really yeah, he, he, he owes with, it all to Roosh. <laughs> I don't know, a, a Ravenish character. I don't know how to like, I, I have trouble describing exactly what this character is. If somebody hasn't seen it. Yeah. I mean, culturally it's a little bit difficult to explain because it's like so built on like, you're supposed to be respectful in this particular yeah. way. You're supposed to like be understanding and patient and all of this stuff. And like, he just wouldn't be any of that. Like, he would just get up in people's faces. He would win the belts. He'd chuck the belts into the air because he didn't give a shit about actually having them. Legends would try to talk to him. He'd be like, shut up, old man, tranquilo. People would, like, try to rile him up, and he'd just kind of chuckle and be like, tranquilo. And it drove people crazy, but the fans immediately got it. Immediately. Yeah. So, Naito has previously beaten Okada for the title, right? Yes. We pretty much try to pretend like all of that shit didn't exist. Okada, Naito's already had the belt. He's won yeah. like a G1. Like he's been at the top already, but it's but like you got to beat Okada now, at Wrestle Kingdom. That's really what it is. Yeah, Anybody can the win man. the belt in just, June. Just like Okada needed to beat Tanahashi. This actually is an exact cop, like yes. not an exact <laughs> copy, but it's basically a play on that same storyline. Yeah. Is that like Okada couldn't get there until he beat Tanahashi, and now this is. Naito's finally ready. Well, he's like, and he needs to face his failure. Yes, that's exactly what it is. He knows that like he'll never get the stink off him until he beats Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. It won't ever mean anything until he can do that. But of course, for American fans, the big match is Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. Jericho shockingly signed with New Japan. And debuted in a video promo at Power Struggle in November where he challenged Omega and just set the internet on fire. Now, let's put in perspective where Jericho is at this point in his career. <clears throat> He's just had a really disappointing run with WWE that he hated. Was that the one where he had to wrestle Fandango at WrestleMania? No, no, no. This is the Kevin Owens thing. He left. Oh, he okay. Was so, he was left because he was so mad that they didn't that they changed their mind about having him and Owens be for the world title at WrestleMania. Yeah. So he's kind of bitter and he's yeah. sitting at home. And I guess I don't know if like Don Callis is sending him matches of Kenny Omega or if like how he gets in, but Jericho has always had a way of kind of glomming onto what's ever hot in order to like get himself over. And he especially has done that ever since then. And so he just kind of starts talking himself into this, like, you know, what if, what if man yeah. stroking his Fu Manchu, uh, man, that Omega kid's getting pretty hot there, brother. And this and, is, but this is mutually beneficial. This was oh, great sure. for new Japan. This got tons of people into new Japan who hadn't watched it before. I don't know how exactly this all comes together. I would imagine. Don Don Callis Callis was the the connect. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but like this is when you talk about guys you could get from America in order to like put on a New Japan show. I don't know that you could get one better suited to this moment than Chris Jericho because you need a guy who's willing to put Omega over who's credible with that audience who they actually know, who's a big enough star who can actually work this kind of style. There's just not that many guys like that. No. And like Jericho's basically perfect. They proceed to do some like memphis angles that I feel like were more violent than what you usually see in New Japan. Lots of blood, fighting in the press conference, uh, hitting each other with the table in the press conference. Gets heat. I don't know how much the Japanese fans cared about any of this, but all the American fans are very into it. It's actually funny because, like, this sort of begins the schism. So, like, up yeah. until now, even the stuff with Omega and stuff like that has always mostly been, like, under, like, the New Japan header in line with the rest of what's going on. This is sort of the beginning of, like, all right, here's the stuff for the North American fans, and here's the stuff for the Japanese fans, and they don't necessarily have to have anything to do with each other or cross over in any way. So, like, this is all completely for the North American audience. Omega and Jericho basically do all this shit on their own to promote this match. It's all in English. Like, yeah. to my knowledge, I'm not really sure how much the Japanese fans did know what the fuck was even going on with this, but... Like, it certainly gets a great reaction when they get in the ring. So it's not like there's nothing. So we have a no disqualification match for the United States title in what was ultimately branded as a co-main event. I cannot imagine how much side-eye they got from from Okada and Naito when they started calling it the co-main event. You know that at some point, somebody backstage was just like, we yeah, what if we voted? And, like, Okada must have, like, no, I will fucking kill you and everyone. <laughs> that said, this time, Okada Naito would have won that vote, unless it was, 99%. Flooded, by unless it was flooded by American fans. Like, literally, like, Naito-Okada is so the bigger match on this show. Like, even, and obviously, North American fans are super interested in Omega and Jericho, as well they should be. But even among those fans, you'd have to acknowledge that the real match on this show is Okada Naito when you watch the show. <laughs> The other big match is Tanahashi defending the the Intercontinental title against Jay White. Um, White is a baby here. He's just back from excursion and been repackaged as Switchblade. They were just doing this thing thing where they were teasing that Switchblade was coming without revealing who that was. And then Jay White showed up at Power Struggle and fucked up Tanahashi and revealed he was Switchblade. It's just so funny because he had been like a squeaky clean baby face during his whole excursion. So nobody thought it was him. And then he comes back and he looks 16 years old without facial hair. I just want to point out when Switchblade comes out here, and this is the first time we really see him in all his glory. I remember laughing my ass off about what a dickhead he looked like. (laughs) Like, what a joke. It's like leather and crap. The man just really needed a beard, it turns out. Yeah, it turns out if he grows a goatee, he looks incredible. But no one really knew what the Switchblade thing was, what his whole deal was. And he's going to wind up becoming the most interesting wrestler of the next couple of years. Because, like, they have a plan for him that is so intricate that, like, it's incredible. And, like, I don't know where Gato just starts developing the idea of, like, the whole next year is going to be about Jay White betraying people. I guess he was their new Kenny. I guess. But Kenny's ultimately a good guy. And, like, this character's never going to be a good guy. 
Well, that's really what the thing is, because they started to turn Kenny face. Yeah. Even though he's the leader of Bullet Club and Bullet Club are heels, he personally is starting to turn face because the fans love him so much. Yeah, they need a new white boy challenge in Cody's leaving. And so by June, Jay White will be the leader of Bullet Club. All right. Before we get to the show, are you ready for a new Japan Lightning round? Oh, fuck yeah. The legendary... I can't say it. Manami Toyota. How do I say the first name? Manami Toyota. Yeah, yeah. Announced her retirement. She celebrated by wrestling 51 short matches in one night. Manami Toyota might be one of the greatest wrestlers who ever lived. I was so sad to see her retire because that like that second chapter where she starts wrestling in like Chikara Trios tournaments and stuff like that was so much fun. Uh these short matches are literally like every single woman who wanted to wrestle her gets like one minute in the ring with Manami Toyota. <laughs> so uh, it's really cool. <laughs> Tokyo Joe passed away at the age of 74. I don't know anything about Tokyo Joe. He was very old. That's really all anybody knew about Tokyo Joe. <laughs> the Destroyer was honored by the Japanese government. His match against Riki Dozan in 1963 Drew reported 60 million viewers, which was something like 95 share rating. That match is held up, and there's no reason to doubt it, since the government was the one who did the ratings at the time, as probably the most watched wrestling match of all time. And there's no way it's ever going to be topped. 60 million viewers is like a Super Bowl. Yeah, literally, like, when they say 95%, that means 95% of all televisions in Japan, because this is at a time when televisions were not extremely common. Now, like everybody was going to their friends' houses or like isn't this where people were like watching like in, in town storefront. square at the yeah storefront has a TV on and everybody's just standing outside watching. Yep. Like literally this is the most watched wrestling. This is the match that makes like Japan fall in love with wrestling forever. Like the destroyer very well deserved. Meltzer reported that for the previous year the company had grossed 34 million. Just want to Point out that while New Japan is awesome, it is a much smaller company than WWE or even AEW. It's just so funny because, like, if you think about what WWE and AEW would be if they didn't have rights fees, if they didn't get pay-per-view revenue. Wouldn't be that different. That's exactly what the situation is. It's a touring company. It's Ringling Brothers. You know what I mean? It's not extravagantly successful. And Japan's a smaller country than the U.S., so there's not as many places to go. Yeah. Oh, the Ric Flair 30 for 30 premiere on ESPN did a strong rating with 1.8 million viewers. Have you seen this? I saw it, and it, it was, was fine. fine. Like, yeah. the real Ric Flair story... Months. Yeah, the real Ric Flair story is should be like a, a hit piece on how yeah. what a dickhead Ric Flair is and all the bad things that he's done, but obviously that's not what you're going to get. Daddy's Home 2, starring John Cena, grossed nearly 30 million in its opening weekend. Who knew that John Cena would become a credible actor? Yeah. Like, he's actually pretty fucking good at it. Not Sam- in Daddy's Home too, to be clear. Sammy Callahan was told by management to stop kissing his opponents during his matches because it was making everyone uncomfortable. Fantastic. Like, he, like, makes it his thing to give people, like, a Sicilian kiss during the match. And they were just like, um, can we not do that, please? Can you stop sexually assaulting everyone? 
Well, we've been trying to get wrestlers to stop doing that for a long time unsuccessfully. That is a very good point. I'm going to quote directly from The Observer here because I can't paraphrase this. Quote, there was a very controversial controversial segment on the new Being the Elite where Kenny Omega acted like a nervous fanboy meeting Joey Ryan and wanted Ryan to use his dick to sign an autograph on Omega's dick. That was different. Another segment they did was to have Hangman Page, while in Japan, studying tapes of Ryan's dick spot he does in every match, with the idea that he's going to try to learn that spot for himself, or perhaps build for a Page versus Ryan program. Doesn't that kind of happen at All In? Isn't that where all like other guys <laughs> dressed as dicks come out? <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah, yeah I think that paid actually off. gets paid off. Wow. I do love the idea of Hangman Page sitting there being like, I will also have a mighty dick. <laughs> I will I will train. Diddy said in an interview he was planning to change his name to Brother Love until he found out about the character Bruce Pritchard portrayed in the WWF. Oh, man, that would have been like a great payday for Bruce. Yeah. Oh, maybe he never would have done the podcast. P. Diddy was going to change his name to Brother Love. He's not a uh, wasn't dishing out a lot of love in those days, according to all the things we've heard recently about him. Nope. And finally, the hammer. Reporting on Shibata's head injury, Melcher said, quote, they had to remove the brain during the surgery and put it back in. Melcher. <laughs> Dave this Melcher something- knows so much about wrestling and so little about everything else. This has, like, persisted ever since then, that people actually think that this has happened. And, and like, guys, no. It's not <laughs> how that works. You can't take someone's brain out and put it back in. Well, you just, like, staple it back to the brain stem? What the fuck are you talking about? Does he they mean, may have moved it to sop up some of the blood. Does he mean they had to cut blood. his skull open? Yeah, of course that's probably what he means. And they did do that, yes. They had to remove the brain and put it back in. Dave! What are we doing here? And they put it in one of those jars in like in the formaldehyde and they just let it chill there for a bit. I mean, I guess he doesn't have like a brain surgeon on call he could ask about this, but But like who fed him that information is what I want to know. It's, it's gotta be a just mistranslation. A yeah. Yeah. But like just just write that. Like you just get the sense that like Dave, if you ask Dave, like, who's the governor of California, it feels like he wouldn't know. Not because he's unintelligent, just because he doesn't pay attention to anything other than wrestling and bodybuilding and MMA. Yep. All right. So to get into the show, it's Thursday, January 4th, 2018. We are at the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, a reported 43,000 in attendance with about 35,000 paid. That's the biggest number they've drawn to the Dome since back in the 90s and up from 26,000 paid the previous year. Not quite a sellout, but getting pretty close. To, I mean, like, obviously a lot of paper here, but also filling most of the available seats with the big set. We talked last year about how they made kind of a gamble where they only drew like 20,000 people, but they like papered it to 35 just to get people in the building. And it really seems like that paid off because essentially yeah. what they did is they just turned those extra 20,000 into paying customers. Yep. 
Uh, no buy rate. Despite some internal push, the show did not air on pay-per-view in the United States. I think this was Jericho pushing for it. They decided to just, you know, try to get people to subscribe to New Japan World instead. I think they would have they would have made some money off pay-per-view, but I can understand just trying to get people on the streaming service. And I think that it worked. I think this is the single biggest thing that did drive I'm subscriptions sure to New Japan World because, like. Of course, like with all the hype going into this, I think they made the right choice of being like, we don't want them to buy it one time. We want American fans fans to stay yeah. watching our product, and this is how they would do that. And New Japan is New Japan World is active in Japan, right? Yeah, that, but it's absolutely. overwhelmingly for American fans. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Japanese fans can watch it though. They again, they get highlight shows on TV there. Like they can actually see the shows in person. Like it's not difficult to see stuff, and it's region locked stuff that we don't get. Also on New Japan World in Japan, you can watch AEW Dynamite and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. if you're in Japan, can't watch it if you're in America. Shout out to New Japan World. They did recently redesign the site, and I like the new format a lot more. Unfortunately, they took a lot of stuff off. Yeah, we were going to go back and watch, like, all the shows from this year yeah. leading up to this, and there's only, like, two of them on there. Yeah, I only watched Dominion in the G1 final. But they're also going through, and they're, they're doing what WWE Network did, where they're kind of, like, editing stuff, and, like, if some stuff they can add the music back into, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, I, I'm glad that they're doing that work. It's just going to be a while before it's a full site. On the pre-show, Masahito Kakihara won the New Japan Rumble, last eliminating Cheeseburger. This is so funny because Kakihara was a UFI guy. He was yeah. one of the only people during the UFI invasion of New Japan that actually won any of the matches. Yeah, I remember Kakihara. And for him to like, and he's overcome cancer, which is why he's back there for his one last of match. Of course he could like, beat these fake ass pro wrestlers. He's a real fighter. But the funny thing is that he's so scrawny now that would like, it's him and Cheeseburger last and they're basically the same size. <laughs> Um, Cheeseburger continues to be the star of the Rumble. Also in the match, we had Bushi, Chase Owens, David Finley, Delirious, El El Desperado, (laughs) uh, Gino Gambino, Hiroshi Tenzan, Jushin Liger, uh, Katsuya Kitamura, Leo Tonga, Manubu Nakanishi, Satoshi Kojima... Yes, Kojima, Lariat, Takamishinoku, Tiger Mask, uh, Toa Henyer? I don't know how to say that one. Hanari. Yoshihashi, Yoshinobu, Kenimaru, Yuji Nagata, and Yujiro Takahashi. I have now passed the greatest pronunciation challenge of this show. Starting next year, I want to make it a thing that you have to read these like Vince McMahon. Oh, no, I wasn't going to do that. Because the best thing about this is that, like, me sitting here listening to Steve, like, torturously work his way through these names. And it would be like Vince being like, how the fuck do you say that? (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Let me try that one again. I'm pretty sure he did that. Wasn't there a rumble that had, like, Tenryu in it? He was like, Tien Ryu. Oh, we open the show by just a video package that runs through the matches. I love how they do every single match. And I love the announcer's voice where he's like, first match. Um, but what? <laughs> like, it, it like a fighting game. Junior heavyweight tag title. They do a new thing on this show that they've never done before that I fell in love with. 
And that's that right before every match would start, they would put the graphic up on the screen so they could get a reaction from the crowd. The guy would announce it. And then like the people's before their music would kick in, their entrance video would kick in for a second. So you could get the reaction before the music started. That was fucking cool. I loved that. Opening match for the junior heavyweight tag titles. We've got Rapongi 3K defending against the Young Bucks. Um, Rapongi 3K have just returned from excursion in the fall, and they immediately won the junior tag titles. Their gimmick seems too coolish, like they're street dancers. So yeah, so that's sort of the idea. They're just supposed to be like teen beat cover boys, right? Like they're yeah. just supposed to be like heartthrobs for the young girls in the audience, and they very much are, and they start getting covered that way. Rocky Romero, who is the most prolific junior heavyweight champion of all time, or junior heavyweight tag champion of all time, and like takes them under his wing, and that's why they're Rapungi 3K because it's the yeah. relaunch of Rapungi Vice. That's a weird fit because they don't really seem to give a shit about Rocky at all. <laughs> They also won the Super Juniors Tag Team Tournament, which I believe is the first time someone had done that while they were already the tag champions. This is a massive push they're getting. They get mega pushed to the sky. What actually winds up happening with them is that like they get pushed so hard so fast that there's nowhere to go, and they wind up breaking them up before they were really ready to. And so neither of these guys is really the star now that they should be because they kind of botched the execution on that. The Bucks are trying to become junior tag champs for the seventh time. Although they've never won the belts at the Dome, they've only retained them. Uh, the Bucks have been saying if they win the titles for the seventh time, they per- they surpass Michael Jordan, who only won six championships. I loved when they, they were coming down to the ring and saying that and be like, you got to hang a banner up in the, be- in, in the rafters of the Tokyo Dome for us, which I, I am tickled pink by the idea of doing that. That is what really matters. Beat yeah. MJ. It's funny too because they know that they're they're there's nothing left for the Bucks to do in New Japan. Oh. They've and they're never like, gonna let them fight for the big guy tag titles. They do eventually do that. They do win the belts yeah. down the road, but that's okay. and that's pretty much the end of them being in this company. But like the the junior tag renaissance of this company is pretty much over because all those other teams have moved on. <laughs> Uh, last year, Rapunge Vice upset the Bucks to win the belts at Wrestle Kingdom, if you'll remember that. Yes. Uh, 3K start fast with double front flip sentons. Um, Yo sells like he hurt his back. And then Nick Jackson proceeds to German suplex him on the apron, which will really hurt his back. Sure will. Uh, then the Bucks powerbomb Romero on the ramp and Matt hits Yo with a powerbomb on the apron. Um, Matt tries a flip down to the floor and misses and just splats all over the mats. So there was this thing that they would do in Young Bucks matches around this time where they would constantly refer to like some mysterious arbitrary back injury that Matt Jackson suffered like years before. Like every Young Bucks match would revolve around like poor Matt Jackson, whose back injury is acting up again. I don't actually know where that originates. Matt tries to pile drive Yo on the ramp, but Yo is able to backdrop out of it. A lot of rough back bumps in this match. They really are. Like they they're doing a lot more stiff bumps than I think that they need to, but I think they're afraid that they're not. They don't have the crowd the way they did the year before because it's not as hot an angle. So I feel like they're, like, going a lot stiffer trying to get him. 
Matt holds Yo so that Nick can do a dive from the ring to the floor, but Yo moves and Nick hits Matt. Yo then manages to tag in show for the first time in the match and he comes on fire, but Nick cuts him off with a spinning back elbow. Show fires up with rolling Germans and then he German suplexes both of the Bucks at the same time. This man is unbelievably strong. <laughs> That's like a Cesaro move. Yeah. Uh, lots of super kicks ensue, but surprisingly, Rapunga 3K come out on top. Um, the Bucks hit a buckle bomb to retake control. They follow up with a swanton bomb draping DDT combo. Ouch. That thing was crazy. I don't know where they keep Not coming a good up idea. with moves like this. Yeah, this is... They're really trying to make something happen here. Matt locks in a sharpshooter, but Show manages to get the ropes. The Bucks set up for more bang for your buck, but Show counters the Samoan drop with a crucifix for a two count. Which Rapun- is how Rocky Romero won last That's year. right. That's right. I forgot about that. Rapunge simultaneously knock in uh, single leg crabs. The Bucks grab each other's hands to avoid tapping, and then they break out. Um, Nick hits a super kick and then a twisting senton down to the floor. That was unreal. Yeah. I, when we talk about the Young Bucks, <clears throat> I've always wondered what Nick Jackson would have looked like as a singles wrestler. Because it really seemed like there's nothing that man can't do. The Bucks hit the Meltzer driver and then another sharpshooter and show taps. The Bucks raise the banner, hang up the jerseys. They're the seven-time champions. Incredible opening match. Yeah. Awesome. If I'm not mistaken, this is definitely the last time they win these belts. They move up to the heavyweight division after this. And, they um, and yeah, it, it's this is an incredible match. For them to give the junior tags 20 minutes at the beginning of this show. And after the Bucks leave, the junior tags don't get attention like this again. It was really just the Bucks that the company had that much confidence in. Next up, we've got a never open weight six man oh. tag title gauntlet match. These are the worst, like by such a significant margin, the worst match on every single one of these shows. I forgot that they did another one of these oh, after we buried it last year, but once again, minutes. like 25 again, with the entrances. Once again, it's every stable in the company, oh. and, but just a random collection of dickheads from all those stables. Nobody the who ever works people. together. Yeah. Five teams, two at a time. Ugh. First, we've got Suzuki gun, which is Zack Sabre jr. Tai Chi. And Izuka against Michael Elgin, Elgin, and War Machine, who are the Viking Raiders, which very weird to see them working in New Japan. New Japan actually wanted them for a lot longer than they had them. Uh, they got like a, I think they got offered by WWE like right yeah. after this. They go, like they go to NXT right after this. And what we actually learn is that, like, so WWE guys watch this show because, obviously, with Jericho on it, suddenly it gets on their radar. So they start, basically, New Japan gets themselves raided again. <laughs> uh, War Machine looked awesome here. The big boys were doing some work. Yeah, and Michael Elgin, despite the fact that he's a scumbag, is super yeah. over in front of this crowd. So, like, nothing wrong with that. The big one did a moonsault, but he missed. And then he got blasted with a shiny wizard by Saber. 
And yep. then Saber choked out the other one and put him to sleep and won. It's all about Saber, man. Saber yeah. looks like a boss here. And then Okada's Chaos Stable is in next. That's Tomohiro Ishii, Toro Yano, and Beretta. Their entrance yep. takes much longer than the match does. The match is over in 40 seconds as Yano beats Tai Chi. The fact that it takes them four minutes to walk to the ring and then they just immediately win is so fucking wild. Like, couldn't they just do it where all the teams are on the floor or something yeah, like that? Yes. Yeah. Why are we not doing that? Like, there's just no flow to this match because every time there's the match ends and then we have to stop because these are some long entrances. It's a long ramp at the Dome. Yeah, I don't know that everybody understands, but this is a baseball stadium and you're basically walking from the like yeah. the, 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 the bullpen all the way to home plate. Like, that's how long it takes to get there. Then we've got Taguchi Japan, which is Juice Robinson, Togi Makabe, and Taguchi. They sure. wrestle for a couple minutes as my patience begins to wane. Taguchi starts doing Nakamura stuff, but when he goes for the Kinshasa, Yano dodges and rolls him up for the pen. Yep. Bullet Club is the last team in. It's Bad Luck Fale, Tama Tonga, and Tama Loa. Uh, Beretta goes for a moonsault, but he gets hit with an RKO, the gun stun out of the air. Gun stun, baby. Tama Tonga got that handed to him by Carl Anderson when he left. Incredible. Even yeah. Randy Orton's never done that one, as far as I remember. Yeah, that thing kicks ass. Uh, Beretta comes back with the Dude Buster to get the win. So, Chaos? Are the champions? Yep, they sure are. Wow. The prestigious never open weight six man titles. Yes. Trent Beretta, Ishii, and Yano, the, the greatest team there ever was. I don't feel like Okada should be in a st- I know New Japan's all stables. To me, Okada being in a stable feels beneath him. The funniest part about the Chaos stable is that all of the other stables are basically built around the leader of them. And Chaos is just literally Chaos. Okada is the leader, but only because Nakamura was the leader and then he left. So now Okada's like, I guess I'm the leader. But he never does shit about it. No, of course not. That would be very out of character if he did. Yeah, it's just bizarre. I don't know why they've ever bothered having him in it. Because, like, it doesn't make any sense. Then we've got... His whole deal is that he hates everyone. Yeah. Next up, we've got Cody versus Kota Bushi. Cody has fully leveled up at this point. The moment when he comes out and he has like a little hood and cape on, and he takes the hood off. This is the debut of the blonde hair. Yeah. And like when he pulls it off, I'm like, yep, there he is. He's ready. It's and, he's got, and he's got Brandy Rhodes with him. Which yeah. Makes now your star. And he's really spent the last year like embracing this heel stuff. So like, even though that's not the Cody who will eventually get super over, he's just found himself, you know? He had that like year-long World Ring of Honor World Title reign, where they mentioned on commentary on the way in that they their business increased by 29% in one year with him Holy on top. Shit, that's huge, guys. Yeah, so this was originally going to be for the Ring of Honor World Title, but Cody lost the belt to Dalton Castle at Final Battle in November. The funny thing is, like, his belt, he had just started wearing a ring instead. Instead of actually carrying the belt, that was his world title. 
And he's still wearing the ring. Because that is I guess the most dusty shit I can ever imagine. Isn't that so dusty to be yeah. like, no, nah, I got I got the ring right here. Ring daddy. That's what pro athletes wear. It's so uh, funny. Do you think they were originally planning on Cody versus Kenny here before Jericho came into the picture? I think that's the most likely. Th- I mean, they're both in Bullet Club and they do wind up going with that feud when they fully turn Kenny face later. I think if. If Jericho doesn't come in, the plan is to turn Kenny fully face and have Jericho or have a uh, Cody try to take Bullet Club from him now instead of doing that later on in the year, which is what they do. Uh, the first big move is Abushi hitting a plancha to the floor that knocks down Brandy. Abushi checks on her, which gives Cody time to recover and KO Abushi. And then it's revealed that Brandy is fine and she was faking. Scumbags. <laughs> Who told you it was open mic night? (laughs) Ibushi comes back with a triangle moonsault to the floor. Ibushi goes to pile drive Cody on the apron, but Cody blocks it and hits an insane crossroads on the apron that Ibushi sells by doing a hand, hand hand spring. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen Cody do. Yeah. Did he He's also leveled up to Brody Lee? I, I think he might have in the dog collar match. I think so, yeah. Cody has leveled up his in-ring stuff so much, too. Like, he's not... Because you remember old Cody was, like, very tentative and, yeah. like, wasn't really... Now he's just beaten asses. And, like, it's not something he had ever really been he's able got to the, do. He's got his confidence back. Yeah. Abushi barely beats the count back into the ring. Cody... <laughs> Hits a springboard Hurricane Rana off the top rope, and Ibushi kicks out at two. I cannot believe Cody actually did that. Yep. He's just doing shit, man. Ibushi recovers to lawn dart Cody into the turnbuckle. Ibushi hits the last ride. He goes for a knee, but Cody dodges and hits him with a lariat. Cody misses the disaster kick. Abushi gets him with a German suplex, a big knee, and then the Phoenix splash for the pin. Awesome match. Awesome stuff. Like when you again, when you compare this to the Cody that we saw the year yeah. before, like he is worlds different now. And like he and Abushi have both leveled up so gigantically. Like they're just both such bigger stars. Oh. Uh, next up for the tag titles, we've got the Killer Elite Squad of Davy Boy Smith and Lance Archer defending against Los Igonobles de Japan, uh, Evil and Sonata. You might recognize Sonata as the guy who's now the current IWGP champion. Literally going to main event Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Evil and Sonata won the World Tag, tag League at Power Struggle in November to get the shot here. This is a kind of a dark period for the tag division. They have no teams. Evil and Sonata are only here because they're not really doing shit else. But they're not really a team. Aside, And then and the Killer Elite Squad's going to leave after this, and they'll have no one. Two big white hosses. This is where Lance Archer starts to really find yeah. himself. Like, Lance Archer, not quite the Murderhawk monster just yet, but he's really getting it. Uh, their entrance is Archer spits water on all the fans at ringside. Definitely not allowed to do that in a post-COVID world. Archer has four different water bottles on him. He chugs them all, spits them into the crowd, and then chucks them into the crowd. And I'm like, that's not safe. (laughs) You shouldn't be doing that. Uh, 
Oh, the killer lead squad dominate early. Archer choke slams evil off the apron onto Sonata and their entourage. Sheesh. Uh, they continue to dominate for about the next five minutes. The challengers can't get any offense in. Sonata finally managed to, manages to hit a Hurricane Rana and tag in evil. Um, Archer cuts him off and hits an insane Spanish fly. A man that size doing that move doesn't make sense. I completely agree. I don't care for it at all. Sonata tags in and gets cut off. Um, Davy Boy misses a moonsault, but he lands on his feet, which is an insane thing for anyone to do, but much less this dude who's 6'7". This is the thing. If only Davy Boy had a shred of charisma to him. Yeah. Because like, it's, there's nothing he couldn't do in a ring. There's nothing. Paying tribute to his dad with the dad jeans here. He also wears, uh, on his way in, he wears the vest that has Davy Boy on the back. Like, that, that yeah. is pretty cool. Archer comes in, he tries to choke slam, but Sonata flips out of him. Archer hits the choke slam on the second try. Uh, the Killer Elite go for a double power bomb, but they get cut off. The Igor Nobles hit the Magic Killer, and Sonata hits a moonsault for the pin. I actually really enjoyed this. I thought everybody played their roles really well here. Actually, I very much agree. This is like the best possible, like, yeah. I also really like having a heavyweight tag match. That's very different from the junior heavyweight tag match, which they didn't always do. And like, these are like four big motherfuckers like doing stuff. And I, I really appreciated that question. I don't know how many Sonata matches that you've actually watched. Probably not a huge amount, right? I saw him wrestle Jack Perry at Forbidden Door. Oh, let's the less we remember that the best. <laughs> yeah. But since he is the new top guy of New Japan, or at least he has the potential to be, what do you think of him watching him? Meh. And that is exactly how I've always felt about Sonata. So when he became the new top guy, I'm not hundred percent for it. He has this inability to show any kind of emotion whatsoever that drives me insane. <laughs> Yeah, it just feels like the epitome of just so they needed a heel to carry the title and they didn't have anyone else. It's just it's a thing that happens in wrestling sometimes. He he should be losing the belt to Naito this week, right? But here's the thing, he's a face. Really? He should be a heel, but he's a face. Yeah. Why is he a fa- I know, man, there's, there's man, did I read that one wrong? Yeah, that's what it should be. He leaves Los Ingobernables, he heals on Naito, tells him what a piece of shit he is and how he's way better than they meet at Wrestle Kingdom. But it's not that. They're both baby faces, and they're having a face-versus-face respect match, and it's Why that sucks. would anyone buy a ticket to see that? Exactly. Exactly, Steve. <laughs> the whole thing we're all doing is watching to see Naito beat his punk ass and then, like, do his little chant at the end. If Sonata wins this match, fans are going to fucking revolt. <laughs> all right. Are you ready for some clobbering? Let's fucking club. We've got the never open weight title as Minoru Suzuki defends against Hiroki Goto in a hair versus hair, no seconds death match. Now, this might be the like the wildest stipulation that I've seen on a New Japan match in a long time. Like they don't usually go in for stuff like this, but death match really... here just means no disqualification. I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, they don't do real death matches. There's not. Oh, no Texas death match here. No falls. We can't have it go four hours like the Dory Funk Senior one did. Funnily enough, uh, Lance Archer and John Moxley will later do a Texas death yeah, match that's right. at a Wrestle Kingdom. I remember but that. That's later. Yeah. Um, so the idea here is that Goto keeps losing to Minoru Suzuki and being humiliated about it. So he's put his hair on the line in order to get this match. Now in Japan, you shave your head if you've done something horrifically embarrassing yeah. to shame yourself. That's yeah. that's how that is. They talk about it on commentary, and I remember this. There was that girl who was in like she was like in a band, and she got like caught with a guy and had to shave her head publicly, which yeah. is horrifying. Like this isn't great, and it's pretty old school, even for like this era, like. It's not something that's really done hugely anymore, but like it's it's basically if you make like a huge public spectacle of yourself, like if a senator gets caught like embezzling money, he's gonna shave his head to show. Wow. Yeah, like this is it's like that. I love it. Yeah. So it's basically just the the public way to apologize to everyone for being such an asshole. And so Goto is doing this to be like, if I can't beat Minoru Suzuki, I have shamed myself, which is a little eye rolling for the stakes that are actually here it's the never open weight belt guys come on it's the hard ass title Hiroki Goda's whole character is that he takes himself way too seriously Suzuki slaps the shit out of Goto and then puts him in a sleeper the ringside doctor comes in to check on Goto but Suzuki throws him out of the ring Pretty, I don't think you're allowed to do that, Suzuki. I think you have to let the doctor check on him. Suzuki just beats the hell out of Goto. Uh, Goto keeps trying to get something going. Suzuki keeps cutting him off. Suzuki gets Goto with another sleeper and goes for the gotch pile driver, which Don Callis points out never works. I mean... Funnily enough, later on, he, now he hits it 100% of the time. But during this era, he never, ever beat anybody with it. Goto gets out with a backdrop and then hits an Ushi Garoshi. Uh, the other members of Suzuki Gun show up, but Chaos cuts them off. Yep. <laughs> it was supposed to be no seconds. That's very dishonorable. I mean, technically they're not seconds since they ran in during the match. <laughs> They exchange slaps, and then Suzuki puts the sleeper on again. The hand falls three times, but then Suzuki lets go and goes for the gotch pile driver again. Again, he can't hit it as Goto blocks it and hits a clothesline. Goto then hits an Ushigoroshi off the top rope. That's yep. nuts. That That's... doesn't seem like a good idea. We're just hurting people now. And then a just hor- horrible headbutt. Like, not quite on par with the Shibata one, but very bad. Yeah, yeah. Then Suzuki follows up with a beautiful drop kick, which is much more impressive and didn't hurt anyone. This match, these never open weight matches are such a mixture of like <sighs> despicable, like bludgeoning each other and just doing cool badass stuff that would work just as well. Goto follows up with a GTR and gets the pin, ending just an absolute war. These guys beat the hell out of each other. I would have to look it up, but I'm not sure that Goto's ever lost at Wrestle Kingdom. I swear wow. to God. Ev- He's the Undertaker ev- of Wrestle Kingdom. 
I'm sure that he has at some point or they'd make a bigger deal about that. But I feel like every year he gets his ass kicked all year and then beats somebody for this same belt at Wrestle Kingdom. And then Suzuki makes good on his promise and cuts off his hair. Yeah, his the Suzuki gun people try to drag him out and he like shoves them all it's off. Like, it's no, like, Fuck I have you to do this. It's a baby like, face turn, right? A little bit, yeah. Suzuki's always had a, a weird kind of honorableness to him yeah. where he'll... Like, if you actually can beat him, he'll show respect. Uh, They run a promo announcing the dates for all their upcoming shows, and then we've got the junior title, Marty Skrull defending against Will Ospreay, Hiromu Takahashi, and Kushida in a four-way match. Marty Skrull, what a wretched hive of scum and villainy this company has become. Here's the thing. This is, I think, just before everything comes out about Marty Skrull. So, like, we don't know. Like, maybe there are probably some people who know, but, like, it's not public yeah. knowledge what a fucking piece of shit he He's is. He's one of the best heels in the world here. This is he unbelievable. He gets to wrestle Okada at All In, like, two months before this. Legit. Well, it's yeah. after this. That's later this year. Oh, okay. Well, but, so, like, yeah. obviously, but, yeah. His entrance here, where he's wearing the Doctor Plague Doctor mask, and he has like the dark wings and shit, he looks incredible. Yeah. He uh, threw he threw that shit all away. So we've got Kushida and Takahashi were feuding and trading the title. Then Kushida lost the title to Osprey, who lost it to Skrull. Last year at Wrestle Kingdom, Takahashi beat Kushida to win the belt. But yeah, they've all been beating each other all year, so we've got a four-way here to settle it. The real story of this match is that Marty Skrull and Will Ospreay have been wrestling each other in Britain for like five years at this point, and Marty Skrull has never lost to Will Ospreay in any way, in any match, not even in tag matches. Wow. Like He's like 50-0 and 0 against Will Ospreay. Uh... This match, it's hard to, I can't really call this one play by play. The pace is so fast. Um, Osprey climbs up the lighting rig and does a moonsault off it, you know, two minutes into the match. That is fucking cool. Yeah. Osprey tries a shooting star press, but Skrull catches him out of the air with a cutter. Yeah, the Randy Orton, Evan Bourne spot. Yep. Uh, Skrull tapes Takahashi to the guardrail and breaks his fingers. Nothing more heelish than breaking a dude's fingers. God. And again, I hate complimenting Marty Skrull because he's such a piece of shit. Awesome but performer here. God, he was so... Heel. In this match, with three of the greatest junior heavyweights of all time, he absolutely stands out. Completely. Back in the ring, Skrull tries to break both Osprey and Kushida's fingers, but they do it to him instead. Yeah, take that. Kushida then locks in a triangle choke on Osprey, but Osprey is able to counter with a power bomb. Um, Skrull throws powder in Kushida's face, but Osprey breaks up the pin. Takahashi gets back in the ring and hits a sunset flip power bomb. Actually, two of them, one on Kushida, one on Skrull. And then the time bomb on Skrull only gets two. It seems wild to me. So one of Takahashi's things when he was coming up <clears throat> is that he's like the only person in the world willing to take that sunset flip powerbomb to oh. the floor spot. Like people tease that all the time, but no one actually takes it except Hiromu Takahashi. It's not a Get good it. bump. Him convincing other people to take it too is just fucking crazy. <laughs> 
Takahashi hits a tombstone on Osprey and then a missile drop kick. Osprey hits a standing shooting star and an inverted 450, but he misses the Oz cutter. Takahashi with a time bomb, but Skrull pulls the ref out of the ring. What a piece of shit. What a fucking asshole. It, it's just, and it feels like one of those things that's just not done in Japan. Just like, I, this is why I'll always love this era because they really fully introduce heels to Japanese yeah. fans for the first time. And like, it's so new. Like, imagine if you'd never seen someone break up a pin like this before, how pissed off you would be. It's just like in old school Japanese wrestling, there were good guys and bad guys, but they just kind of fought and whoever won, won, right? Yeah, you had your favorite, and there might be somebody who betrayed somebody else or something, but they were both honorable warriors, you know what I'm saying? Now we've introduced pure dickheads yeah. <laughs> for the first time. Uh, Skrull grabs the umbrella from his entrance, and he hits everybody with it, but Osprey hits a Spanish fly and then the Oz cutter for the pin. I cannot believe this match. This was wild. Like, the end of this match gets a little sloppy, as there seems like there's, like, some miscommunication with some stuff. Like, they do a spot with Osprey where they're just literally, like, holding him up, trying to figure out what to do with him for a minute. Um, but, yeah, this is wild. These are four of the most talented junior heavyweights who have ever lived, just tearing it down for 20 minutes. And I guess we jumped over this. Where would you say is the part, if somebody is not a sicko and doesn't want to watch this entire six-hour show, where would you recommend they yes. start? Right here. Yeah. There's really, I might recommend you go back and watch the Bucks versus Roppongi 3K. That's good. And then skip everything in between. But like, there's there's only ever five matches on a Wrestle Kingdom that you have to see. Yeah. And usually those five matches are like the most must-see matches of the entire year. But like, they they deliberately do it that way. Like, the fucking never open weight six-man and Coda and... Cody and the just to tag, get people on the card just to get people there they don't matter they're just because because what they do is they go around the country and they sell these guys as like brands and like they make you like fans of them and you can buy their individual merchandise and join their fan clubs and all of that stuff and so you get fans of all of these individual people all over the card and then when you're trying to get everybody together you have to have everyone on the card so that everyone comes to see that show it just is what it is and you want these guys to get paid too all right, next up for the Intercontinental title, Hiroshi Tanahashi, who we forgot to mention is now the president of New Japan, defends against Switchblade Jay White. Yep, a baby, baby, baby Switchblade Jay White. Dude, I busted out laughing when I saw him here. He looks like such a dickhead. He's like, well, he's coming out in like black leather. Like he's got goth. like no facial hair. Like we thought this was... It's actually funny, the parallels here, because when Okada first came out wearing his Rainmaker shit to that first Wrestle Kingdom and stunk it up with Yoshihashi, we mocked him incessantly for what an asshole he looked like. Obviously, we grew into that just like we grew into this with Jay White. But just that first image where he turns oh. around, like I genuinely laughed out loud then and I laughed out loud just now. Like, he kind of just looks like Trent Barretta. Like, he just looks like a he looks like a jobber. Yeah, you're trying so hard. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the story is there's no way for Tanahashi to have prepared for White since White hasn't 
Has he wrestled at all since he came back? Or is this no, he hasn't had a single match yet. Yeah, so no tape to watch on him. I don't think he could subscribe to Honor Club to see his Ring of Honor matches. Yeah, and Tanahashi's got like a, a bum leg like he always does. And like yeah. Tanahashi knows that he's vulnerable. Like he's in a bad spot. Jay White has picked his spot perfectly to come after Tanahashi. Which is his character, right? He's like the top, he becomes the top guy killer. Yeah. So we don't really understand this about Jay White yet, but like the thing that sets him apart is that he's able, he studies all of these like architect characters like Seth Rollins yeah. is like supposed to be. He actually is. Like he studies people, he develops counters for all of their big moves. That's why he's the one by who can always beat Okada. Is because Okada is so frustrated because there's nothing Okada can do that Jay White can't counter a million times because he studied him so severely. That so is he's such coming a great with a plan. character. Yeah, he's coming with a plan. I might be a young boy, but I have studied and yeah. mastered three people, Tanahashi, Omega, and Okada, and I can beat those three. It does not matter if I can beat Will Ospreay or Hiroki Goto. Oh, fuck those guys. If you can beat I, those guys, you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to win a lot of championships. And that's the whole thing. His plan as is to this is his debut. Then he's going to get Okada to try to rec- he's going to get Omega to try to recruit him into Bullet Club, stab Omega in the back. Okada's going to let him join Chaos because oh, you must want to kill Bullet Club just like me. Then he's going to stab Okada in the back, take over Bullet Club, kick Omega out and rule the wrestling world. And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> This is much better than his AEW character where he's a dickhead who loses all of his big matches. That's the thing. Like, that's <laughs> really disappointing. The Jay White character doesn't work if he doesn't actually win. <laughs> yeah, which wouldn't have been hard to do to just bring him in and have him beat everybody. He could have beaten Max back at the last pay-per-view. There's nothing that has happened since, especially since All In, that, like, wouldn't have been better if Jay White wasn't on top. Like, let's just be clear. We all know that. You could have still done the Devil storyline and just had Jay White still be on top. It doesn't matter. You don't need the belt for that. White targets Tanahashi's legs. He gets him in a reverse Indian death lock as we hit five minutes gone by. Uh, Tanahashi fights his way to his feet, but his knee gives out. He manages to recover and hit a side rush and leg sweep. Crowd very quiet for a Tanahashi match. I think they don't really know what to make of Jay White at this point. I agree. And like he was he did his excursion in America and like they don't really know anything about what he did there. And like there's just nothing to grab onto with him yet. Um, And Tanahashi's in kind of I would call it a lull. He's got like his mom haircut, so he's not really the same as he used to be, and he's been hurt for a couple months, so he hasn't been wrestling as often. Tough for him, because what is there left for him at this point? I think that was the feeling for a lot of people. Until he wins the G1 and challenges Omega the following yeah. year, I don't think anybody defend, really knew. Defend New Japan's honor against this white boy. I, yeah, I don't think that people really knew, like, is he done? Like, is he wrapping it up? We don't know. And, of course, here we are several years later, yeah, and he's still going. Still going, yeah. Tanahashi manages to hit two dragon screws in the ropes and then a brain buster on the apron. White goes to the floor, and Tanahashi hits a high-fly flow as we hit 10 minutes gone. White turns the tide. He proceeds to hit a Saito suplex 
a Death Valley driver, and it goes for a missile drop kick, but Tanahashi moves. Tanahashi hits the twist and shout off the top, two sling blades, and a high fly flow from the middle rope. He goes up again, but he misses. White hits the Kiwi Crusher. He signals for the Blade Runner, but Tanahashi counters into a Dragon Suplex. Tanahashi hits another Dragon Suplex. Two high fly flows, and he gets the pin. Turns back the challenge of the young boy. Jay White just wasn't quite ready for Tanahashi at the Dome. And really, considering that this is just like a showcase match for Jay White, that's fine. He shouldn't have won this match. That wouldn't have made any sense. Um. Literally on like New Year's Dash, Omega's gonna offer him a spot in Bullet Club because like, hey man, that was such an impressive performance. Let's let's get you in the club. And then he like beats the shit out of Omega. So like, this is the Jay White year. But if you yeah. saw this match, you'd never fucking know that. When's he grow the goatee? It takes him like a year to start getting Fuck. that going. He needs the he needs the facial hair. That it really coincides with him becoming yeah. leader of Bullet Club, and that's really when it all kind of clicks. Yeah, he looks like a super villain with the facial hair. Yeah. The best thing is he gets the facial hair, and then he gets Jado and Gato to betray Okada and join him. And that's really all the heat he needs for the rest of his career. All right. Co-main event time. We've got the no-DQ match for the United States Championship. Kenny Omega defends against Chris Jericho. Oh, boy. before we get into this, what were your expectations from this match coming in? I thought Jericho was going to stink it up here like he had in all of his big matches for years before this. I also thought that. We had not seen – it's it's funny to look back on it now. We've seen him have a ton of great performances in AEW. Like, obviously, yeah. we know that, like, this is his career resurgence right here. We hadn't seen him actually kill it in a match since he wrestled Shawn Michaels in a ladder match. Like, it, it had been, been a long, long time, yeah. I thought he was washed. I thought this was going to suck. But I was like, you know what? It'll be fine. It'll be cool. a fine 12-minute match. And then Omega – I assumed Jericho was going to win because I didn't think he was actually going to do the job. Um, When – so as this match passed, like, 25 minutes, I was getting incredulous. <laughs> like, what? Really? <laughs> So they edited out Judas on New Japan World, which was very disappointing. Yeah, it sucks, but it obviously it's not their property anymore. Yeah. I don't really understand what Omega's entrance was supposed to be. This is a character from some video game. I'm not actually sure which one it is, but he always did video game references at Wrestle Kingdom. That's his deal. <laughs> This is not nearly as cool as the Terminator the year before. Yes, Terminator, very cool. Uh, Sephiroth this past year, that was pretty fucking good. He's got the Young Bucks backing him up. They have to be separated before the bell, and then they fight right off the bell. Kenny knocks Jericho to the floor and hits a baseball slide. He tries for a plancha but misses and crashes through the announce table, wiping out Don Callis in the process. Yeah, we hadn't really mentioned that Don Callis is on commentary tonight. Uh, he's finally the guy that they get on commentary that yeah. works. Yeah, um, he obviously, he winds up leaving with everybody else to go to AEW when that happens. But, like, he actually, he's a good color commentator for this show. Yeah, big improvement over, I can't remember who they had the last it's couple fucking years. Fucking Steve Carino. Yeah. And Yoshitatsu. Yoshitatsu. 
Jericho puts Kenny in the walls of Jericho, but he breaks it to beat up the referee. Yes, he puts hands on Red Shoes. Poor Red Shoes. That man gets so abused now. And then he puts Red Shoes' son, Shota Umino, in the walls until Kenny breaks it up. I popped so hard when I saw this with Shota. I did not realize that... My favorite part about old New Japan shows is seeing, like, guys as young boys who would go on to become huge stars. And it's just like, oh, shit! Kenny puts a table on top of Jericho and double stomps him. Jericho comes back with a suplex on the floor. Omega barely beats the count back into the ring. Omega goes to springboard into the ring, but Jericho catches him with a dropkick to the knee. Jericho then powerbombs Omega on the floor. They come back in the ring. Jericho hits an elbow from the top and then the lion salt. Omega fights back, hits his diving somersault plancha to the floor, and he follows up with a face buster and neck breaker back in the ring. What were you thinking at this point? I was openly stunned that the match, A, had been so good to this point, but B, had been so intense to this point. Yeah. The really, okay, so coming into this match, Jericho has said that, like, I can't wrestle Omega style. Like, I'm not, I was never a good enough athlete to wrestle like this. But what I can do is kind of pull him into a kind of match we haven't seen Kenny do yeah. before. Take, and this, take him to the deep water and see if he can swim. And I've never seen Kenny in a match like this. It was really interesting. And apparently this is like the, one of the only matches that Kenny has ever wrestled where he let the other guy, like, call the match in the ring. So he is not used to wrestling that style. So, like, the fact that it's going so incredibly well is amazing. But also, like, it's just brutal. Like, Kenny's doing all of his usual spots, but in a way that seems way stiffer and more brutal than usual. Jericho gets Omega in the walls. Omega counters with the cold spray. Ah, cold spray. Jericho slams Omega onto a chair. Kenny fires up with a snapdragon suplex. Wasn't sure Jericho was going to take that. Kenny has a lot of offense that looks brutal, but I'm sure it actually isn't as bad as it looks. But the Snapdragon always looks like, man, I don't, I don't know, know if there's a good way to take that. Yeah. It's just whiplash. He sets up for the one-winged angel, but Jericho slips out, so Omega hits him with another dragon suplex. Jericho grabs the chair from earlier and smashes it in Omega's face. Jericho goes to the top, but Omega kicks the chair into his face. Omega follows with a V-trigger that knocks Jericho off the top rope, through the table on the floor. Holy shit. That was a great spot. Yeah. Love the Chekhov's gun at the table coming back into it. This match is just set up so smartly. Like, this might be... This might be the biggest accomplishment of Jericho's career, if you really think about it. Because, like... He solves this style. Like, there are so many things that don't fit about Jericho wrestling a New Japan-style match, but he figures out a way to meld his style with that in a way that just fucking works. And this match has every reason to bomb. Yes! I mean, the crowd knows who Jericho is, but he's not super. He's not over in Japan or anything like that. He's old. He's not had good matches in recent years. Now he's going to wrestle a totally different style in front of a crowd who's never, who's, you know, they've probably seen, maybe some of them have seen his WWE matches, WWE toured Japan, but right. I, this is a stretch and he just aces it. Yeah. He get, they give him 35 minutes, yeah. which is crazy. Didn't work and a they, match that long 
<clears throat> in a very long time. Like, I can't remember a 30-minute Chris Jericho match. I would be stunned if he had wrestled one. Maybe, God, well, he's wrestled, maybe that Hell in a Cell with Triple H went 35. That would make sense. It's been a minute. Let's let's yeah. say that. Jericho crawls back into the ring. Kenny hits him with multiple V triggers. I cannot believe how fast Kenny Omega is. I'd love to see this guy run the 40-yard dash. That's the funniest thing about Kenny is that, like, <clears throat> somebody early in his career told him, like, you're doing everything at 100 miles an hour, and it makes it look like everything looked the same. If you just do one thing yeah. at a hundred miles an hour, it'll make you look like God. It's the V trigger. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Everyone does the V trigger. Now everyone in wrestling does the fucking V trigger and they all look like garbage. Compared Nobody to can Kenny do Omega. That, yeah. Omega hits the double underhook pile driver, another V trigger he goes for the one-winged angel, but Jericho rolls through into the walls, and then he transitions. He drops the knee on the back. It's the lion tamer. I lost my mind when that happened. A, because I thought that Jericho was going to win with this. But B, uh, how many years had it been? Like, uh, yeah, I'm trying 20? to remember when the last time he had done the. He didn't. He, I think he maybe did it to Kofi Kingston because Kofi could actually take it. But yeah, he had stopped doing the Lion Tamer once he came to WWE because it was too stiff. It was not only too stiff; it was too hard for him to do because yeah. it's harder on his abs to actually hold it like that. God, I love the Lion Tamer. What a great hold! The Lion Tamer is the coolest looking submission move of all time, and there's not a second yeah. place. The Walls of Jericho fucking sucks. Well, the Walls of Jericho is so low energy. It's, it's like, a Boston oh, crab. I'm sit down like I'm taking a shit instead of my I'm favorite thing. Drive my knee into your spine. My favorite thing about the Walls of Jericho, and apparently somebody told Jericho this while they were talking about the match, is that young boys, the only finisher they're allowed to do is the Boston ah. crab. That's so that's considered to be the shittiest, crappiest little finishing move that no one ever wins with. Like, somebody had to tell Jericho, like, hey, uh, your Walls of Jericho is going to not get over here. <laughs> Just like how Jericho never won any matches with the Walls of Jericho. Well, that's a fair point. It's because he was using a young boy match. Yeah. He had to figure out a real finisher. Omega manages to pull himself to the ropes. Jericho goes for a code breaker, but Kenny blocks it. He hits two V triggers. He hits the one winged angel, but Jericho was able to grab the ropes on the pin. What a mistake by Kenny to not pull him to the middle of the ring. Now let's be clear to this point. Only one man in history has ever kicked out of the one winged angel. And it was Kota Ibushi and DDT. No one in new Japan has ever done it. Not even Okada. So, it's very significant that he doesn't kick out because yeah. that was probably suggested at one point. Yeah, and I bet Omega was like, go fuck yourself. No. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I think would get the crowd to turn on the match because Jericho oh, yeah. doesn't deserve that. Agreed. Jericho goes for a super Frankensteiner, which is when you know you were getting work in Jericho. Oh, yeah. And he blocks it. Kenny goes for a moonsault, but Jericho moves and hits a code breaker. Kenny kicks out. Did you think that was the finish? I did. Kenny had a way of taking the code breaker where as they were coming down, he would like throw his feet up in the air. So he would take it face first on Jericho's knee. I've never seen anybody take it like that. 
Jericho gets a chair. He beats on Kenny with it. He goes for another lion's salt, but Kenny throws the chair at him. Kenny then finishes him off with a one-winged angel on the chair. What a shockingly good match. Meltzer gave it five stars, and it's in that neighborhood for me. Like, I don't know about five stars necessarily, but this is... Well, that's nothing compared to the seven-star matches he had been handing out around. You know what? That's a good point. That's, That's a fair point. But, like, yeah, this match is literally, and you can very rarely say this about a match, the best it possibly, possibly could have been. Like, there are a lot of great matches. Like, I don't think that Okada and Omega ever had the best match they possibly could have, which is scary. Yeah. Uh, But this could not have been better than this. This was perfection. I don't think Jericho could have a better match than this with literally anyone. Well, yeah, let's, let's play that game. Is this the best match of Jericho's career? Um, yeah, probably. I might. I mean, I really like a lot of those Shawn Michaels matches, but this is just more dramatic and more interesting. And it's also more him. Like, as much as we're putting over Kenny here, and we absolutely should be, and as much as this match is about putting Kenny over, this is a Chris Jericho match. He yeah. constructed it. He called it. These are his spots. He fucking kills it. Yeah, and it's fascinating how much he actually didn't change his style. Like, no, this is just a Chris Jericho match. Yeah, in the dome against Kenny Omega, which makes it so interesting. He just he creates this new style. And actually, in subsequent years, you see a lot of New Japan guys doing matches more similar to this. Like, this changes something. Like, this is an incredibly significant match for so many reasons. Yeah, fusion of the Japanese and American styles here. The only American wrestler that Tetsuya Naito has ever requested to wrestle, huh. ever, is Chris Jericho. That's saying something, because Naito hates American wrestling. He hates Americans and America. Was, I guess Jericho's a Canadian, so that's He's fine. Canadian. He has dual citizenship. But yeah, like that's what the feud, I think, for next year is, is Jericho versus Naito. And like... That's right. Yeah. Where Jer- is it Jericho? The- no, that's when is Jericho? Does Jericho wrestle Tanahashi at the Dome when he's the AEW champion? Yes, because if Jer- Tanahashi had won, he would have gotten a shot at the belt, and that's what creates the Forbidden Door. That was the original. That was the Forbidden Door. Yeah, Tanahashi literally cuts a promo where he calls it the Forbidden Door, yeah, and here we are. Gonna, years he later. says he's going to open the door by beating Jericho. It's so weird that we thought of that as a forbidden door at the time. Well, but somebody wasn't it Jericho who called it that or something. Like somebody said that that was like they weren't allowed to talk about New Japan and AEW at the time. It was both of them. Jericho and Tanahashi both cut promos about that. Yeah, like because AEW had such had created such hard feelings yeah. with New Japan. You don't want to tease something you can't deliver. We should probably talk about this a little bit now because we haven't really fully gotten into it, but like. So what's going to happen is that AEW is formed by stealing all of New Japan's top talent. Sure is. Take a look at who's on this card. Like, look at this card up and down and think of all the people who will be part of AEW. It's a lot. And, like, all of these people are just gone. And imagine, like, they're making a choice, all right? They are choosing between Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito. One of these men is going to beat Okada and in this legendary reign and be the new top guy of this company. And they can choose between, as we said, we can choose between Naito for the Japanese fans or Omega for the North American fans. And they choose Omega. 
they choose him as the steward of this company going forward and he stabs them in the back yeah, yeah. and like it's not deliberately like that because obviously he has every right to leave and go do whatever he wants but like uh, just imagine the hard, hard feelings yeah it's yeah. tough and AEW steals New Japan's American expansion. Like the American yeah. expansion is dead once AEW exists. I want you guys to think about how hyped you were for AEW when it first started. And I really want you to think about why. It's because of the exposure and the things that those guys did in New Japan. Yes. Some of it was Ring of Honor, but none of y'all were watching Ring of Fucking Fuck Honor. Ring of Honor. Yeah. Like All In only exists because of the exposure these guys get in new japan aw only exists because of that they just new japan's north american promotion would have been aw it would have been kenny omega on top and the bucks and all these other guys it would have been this exact same thing except now it's somebody else's that sucks that literally didn't hit me until I like went back and was listening to our podcast about the one from the year before this, where we were talking about, you know, Kenny saying he needed to be the face of their American expansion. And was this the year they ran their show? They started running shows in America. Had they done that oh, yeah, this, this summer? Is, this is the year they do Okada, Jay White, and Madison Square Garden and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And yeah, like their vision is they want to start an American promotion, which they totally could have with these guys, with Kenny and Jericho and Omega and the Bucks. Like they absolutely could have. I don't think it would have worked very well if you called it New Japan America, but you could have come up with a better name than All Elite Wrestling, which I maintain is a terrible name. And like it's difficult to imagine if they would have actually pulled it off because the number of resources they would have had to pour into yeah, they that need to, to they needed Tony Con- they needed Tony Khan's money. Right. But like we can't say that that was just a hypothetical because the storylines literally from the night after this on are deliberately splitting this company into two separate companies. Like they split this into Omega versus Cody and like with Kota Ibushi and the gold in the lead and all of that stuff is a completely separate thing from anything else happening in New Japan to the point where Tetsuya Naito famously says in a promo like I don't even know what the fuck's going on with any of that stuff. I don't watch any of the English stuff. I, are they in love with each other? I don't get it. They are. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Of course they are. All right. But anyways, so now we come to the main event where they have made their choice, but we don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's main event time. Okada defends the IWGP Heavyweight Title against Naito. Um, Naito comes out first in a white suit with a wolf mask. This is his first ever Wrestle Kingdom main event since he was denied the main event back in 2014 by the fan vote. couple things about this. One, when they, I, we, I mentioned earlier they were doing this thing with a show, like the match coming up up on the screen, and you kind of get the fan reaction. So, like, some of these matches get more of a reaction than others. Tanahashi J. White got no reaction. A lot of them got very little reaction. Goto Suzuki got a surprisingly big reaction. This match gets cheers Explosion. and clapping. When Naito comes out here, the pop he gets is incredible. They chant Naito for like five straight minutes. I 100% did not grasp how big a star Naito was. And like it's difficult to, right? Because like there's really no American equivalent to what's going on. You can't see like buy rate numbers. Like we don't really get their merchandise numbers. Like you wouldn't know if you were just watching the shows necessarily. But like understand that this is the most popular man of this decade, of this century that we're in right now. He made, 
Okada's popular. Naito puts him in the garbage. Okada walks second. This is his fifth time main eventing Wrestle Kingdom, his fourth in a row. He's in the midst of the longest IWGP title reign ever, and he has the most days as champion of anyone in history. He's wearing long tights here, which is a little weird. He had started doing that during his depression period, and he just kind of kept on with it for a while. Nobody really liked the long tights. Show those legs, man. You've got good legs. Yeah. Um, Okay. What does each guy need to do to win this match? So, Naito's problem with Okada has always been... He didn't have a finisher that would work. His Stardust Press, which is like his flipping moonsault off the top rope, misses like so often that it's become like the Ric Flair thing off the top. It's a like, joke. It's a joke. Yeah. Uh, so he invented the Destino. Yeah. Okada's never seen the Destino yet. So like he's worried. That's what Naito needs to do. And it's he's a been teasing. He... he has a secret. Yeah, basically, he's been winning matches up until this point, and he won the G1 with it. But like ah. Okada hasn't seen it yet. Yeah. And Okada and Naito's never kicked out of the Rainmaker. He's never even sort of kicked out of the Rainmaker. So this is one of those ones where it's like one finisher might do it because the other guy's not ready. The crowd absolutely explodes for the bell. Like, think about all the time. Like, think about like Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson in New York. Think about all the times you've ever heard the crowd explode. Hogan, Hogan Goldberg at the Georgia Dome. Just that moment where the fans are just so happy that a match is about to happen that they're already cheering. I think I can think about five matches maybe ever that were like that. This match is huge. Crowd seems to be leaning towards Naito. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, Okada's not a heel in that Okada's never really been a face or a heel. He's just yeah. kind of Okada. <laughs> Okada is like the John Cena of Japan. Yes. You respect him and you yeah. love him. But you want him to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, yeah, like he's 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 not somebody Japanese fans can look at Naito and that's a guy they could be. That's a guy they want to be. They want to tell their parents and their elders and their boss to go fuck themselves. Yeah. But they can't. But they live through him like American fans did Steve Austin. And he's a smaller guy and he's kind (laughs) of ugly and he likes baseball and he's like a relatable guy. Okada. Fuck. Yeah. Like, this guy came home dating your sister. You would be very suspicious of him. Fucking 6'2, the most yeah. handsome man in the world. He's the best wrestler on earth. Like, there's no this, questioning he's got it. got millions and millions of dollars. Like, yeah. Not His wife is like a famous, like, Instagram influencer. Tom Brady. Like, yeah. He's be- that's basically what we're talking about here. Way too perfect. Um, yeah. So, I mean, coming in here, was Okada like, Hey, dickhead, you sucked so much, you cost me the Wrestle Kingdom main event, and I, nearly, ex- ru- and I nearly ruined my career because of that. So I watched a translation of the, the hype video before this match starts, and literally it's all about, it's like 10 minutes of Naito being like, this is my destiny, I've worked so hard for this, I went through all of these struggles and trials and tribulations, and then Okada breaks in, he's just like, hey, chuckle fuck, you're why we didn't get that main event, it's your fault, because you weren't good enough. I'm Okada. I'm the best. Everyone knows that. So it must have been you. One of my favorite tropes is the idea that, like, the littlest thing in the past sets off a chain reaction that no one could. It's just like the little thing that 
that like Naito not being over and that fan vote like nearly ruined Okada's life. Like yep. the Tanahashi feud nearly derailed his career. The funny thing is though, that if that hadn't happened and they had just gone on pushing them like milk toast the way they were, yeah. they never would have gotten over the way they did. Oh yeah. It was the best possible thing for future business because then Naito comes back as this and like this, that's been their business for five years. They don't survive the pandemic if Naito isn't as big as he is. There's just no way they could have. And Naito can say you were such a boring champion that you never drew except when you were wrestling Tanahashi. Exactly. And at at that point, and then they both become these huge guys and here they are again. They're finally (laughs) leveled up up so much. They should have been then. And now they're here. And which one's better? That's the question. As is typical with Okada's title matches, they start slow and they feel each other out. Lots of takedowns, lots of holds. You know, they're going to go 35 minutes here. Imagine being Okada. Like, think of another wrestler who wrestles every match is 40 minutes. Like, Okada wrestles. to do this every couple months. Well, except during the G1. But. Again, as we always have to explain, like after this, Okada's just wrestling six-man tag matches with Chaos on the house shows. Yeah, and he's probably going to get a whole month off from even doing yeah. that. He's not in the New Japan Cup. He's just chilling until New Beginnings. Like Okada doesn't do take a bump really for three months at a time. That's why he can do these forty-minute spectacles. <laughs> Kelly references that the odds makers have set the over-under on the match at six stars, which is ludicrous. The underpaid out. Come on now. That's fucking crazy. Okada scores first as he sets Naito up on the top rope and drop kicks him to the floor. Um, He follows him out to the floor. Naito manages to hit a neck breaker into the guardrail. He follows up with a missile drop kick and he spits on Okada. How disrespectful is this man? And the crowd goes fucking crazy. (laughs) Okada turns the tide, hits a huge kick where he runs all the way around the ring. I love the way it's like supercharged. Yep. And then he hits draping DDT off the rail and he really is Randy Orton. That's the funny thing. He's like if Randy Orton was the man that he should be. Not that anyone cares, but I remember when I did the game that was um, like book your own territory. You drafted Randy Orton for Japan, which actually would be perfect. I actually feuded him with Okada in that thing. I think about that stupid little game we played all the time (laughs) and the character of an insane Randy Orton who hated Japan so much he desperately wanted to get out. It's perfect. Randy Orton being a racist dickhead. It's the most believable thing in the world. But also, if you got Okada and Randy Orton in the ring, I feel like they just flow like water, you know? Yeah. I think Randy would get really into that. Yeah. <laughs> this is all that bullshit Cena made him watch. Yep. He's like, oh, I know you guys. Oh, yeah. I remember you. They trade the advantage until Okada slams Naito and then he hits him with a diving elbow. He signals for the Rainmaker, but Naito fights out. A series of reversals ends with Okada wrestling, locking in the Cobra clutch. Naito manages to get the ropes. He hits a big neck breaker off the top rope. Then a huge reverse super hurricane Rana and a spinning senton, but he can only get two. Holy shit. That was crazy. 
They trade blows, and Naito gets the better of it, but Okada scores with a big drop kick. Naito turns the tide with a flying forearm. It just it feels like they're just perfectly well-matched. Neither guy can hold the advantage for more than a move or two. That's such the perfect thing about them, because they're such different wrestlers. Like, Naito influenced and like okada can work that style but like these guys mm. can just go you get the feeling that they could just go non-stop for like six hours <laughs> naito tries for a superplex but okada fights him off he goes for a springboard missile drop kick but he misses and lands flat on his back naito goes to the top but okada pulls him off and absolutely spikes him with a german suplex jeez Okada signals for the Rainmaker. He hits it. Naito manages to get the shoulder up. That is an incredible moment because you can see the look on Okada's face like, yeah. oh, shit. Uh... So he's got to do now he's got to do the real thing. He's got to hit the tombstone. Yeah, see, so you didn't do the lead up. Like, you can't just hit it out of nowhere. You got to do the whole yeah. thing. Okada goes to the tombstone, but Naito slips out. He can't follow up because he's so beat up. Okada puts him in the Cobra Clutch again, but Naito counters into the Destino, which is a like swinging reverse DDT. It's like kind of like Brian Kendrick's sliced bread, but he doesn't run up the turnbuckle to do it. There's really never been a match quite like it. Like I've never moved quite like it. I've never seen anybody do anything that really looked like Destino before. Now, the thing about Destino is it very rarely wins matches the first go. He usually hits it like a bunch of times on guys. It's not that devastating. It is really cool looking, but he's taking as yeah. much of the impact as the guy is. Right. Naito recovers. He goes for Destino again, but Okada blocks it and he hits the Rainmaker. He's slow to make the cover, so he pulls Naito up. He goes for another Rainmaker. Naito ducks in and he hits the Destino. I thought that was it. I oh, thought yeah. I genuinely thought oh, that was the man. end. Like, he broke Okada's serve, countered his big move. That's got to be the ball game. But Okada gets the shoulder up because he's just the greatest champion we've ever seen. He's unbeatable. And now we're, as we say, in the deep water. Because fuck knows what's going to happen now. (laughs) Okada recovers and he hits a beautiful dropkick. How can he have the gas in the tank left to do that at this point in the match? That's why it's the legend. one of the best drop kicks he's ever hit. It's Ooh. crazy. Okada with the tombstone. Rainmaker. Does he actually yell Rainmaker? He does. Yeah. <laughs> and the camera zooms <laughs> out. Naito ducks again. He hits Destino again. This has to be it. It has to be it. But he doesn't cover. He pulls him up, tries to hit another one, but Okada turns it into a spinning tombstone. That is one of the greatest counters I have ever seen. I I remember losing my. We haven't really mentioned. Out is rabid. Yeah. Like they have like. There's like a volume level that you don't really notice as an increase steadily. And then if you come back and watch like just the last two minutes of this match, it is so fucking loud in the dome, which is a, te- a horribly pl- place to try to get noise yeah. because it's so big. As like, Dave just, Meltzer has had to explain to a million trolls on Twitter, like it's really hard. To, like, it's a giant baseball stadium 
it's not loud unless the crowd is absolutely screaming and it's not full because they've got tons of seats blocked. So like for it to be this loud means everyone in the building is screaming at the same time. Okada hits the rainmaker gets the one, two, three. What a great match. I thought, I think this is underrated. I saw this only got four and a half stars from Meltzer. I thought this was better than that. This match got buried at the time. Because everybody's favorite Naito lost, Mark. Yes. Now, funnily enough, the Japanese fans didn't really bury this. Like, because they understand the way Japanese booking works. (laughs) Uh, God, try to explain that to these fucking Yankee American fans. There was a sense among Japanese fans that like, oh, like, so if it's not Naito, then it's probably going to be Omega. There's a there's a growing sense within the fandom of the community that like, oh, they're going to start choosing America over us. And like this does begin to worry people. And it turns out that they do. But AEW kind of saves them from themselves on that. Um, But yeah, so. But this is an incredible match. Like, as good a main event as ever you could want to see. Yeah. Um, As is tradition in New Japan, Okada does a post-match promo. He thanks the fans. He acknowledges that many of them were cheering for Naito. He puts Naito over and said they would probably wrestle in the main event at the Dome again. And he points out the empty seats in the stadium and says he wants to fill all of them next year. And uh, I can't remember. Is that the sellout? Does they did they actually sell that one out? I maybe they did. I, I guess we'll have, have to find that up for next year. Um, yeah. but they definitely sell more of them. That's for sure. I, I yeah. gotta say, like this is thousand paid, which is an increase. Yeah, this is not the best Wrestle Kingdom show of all time. It's no, not. It's I good, would, I, but it wasn't quite at the level of the last couple of years. I would think I think I would honestly say that it might be the worst of the ones that we've covered. Yeah, from we've done uh, what we did nine, ten, eleven, and now twelve. So we've done four now. Yeah, this is probably the weakest of those. It's still incredible. Like it still beats almost like ninety nine percent of shows in wrestling history. Yeah, it only has two of the best matches you've ever seen, not four. Yeah. <laughs> so like, all right, that's fair. Um. Before we get out of here, though, uh, and we wrap this thing up, I'm going to give you a stump, Steve. A Japanese stump, Steve? It's not going to be hard to stump me. So listen, I tried my best to make this a thing that I thought that you could get, because it's not fair. I'm not going to be like, hey, Steve, name uh, where all the members of Los Ingobernables started their young boy dojo run. No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) What I am going to do, though, is ask you that there are a number of people on this show and I want you to tell me which ones have competed in AEW. Ooh, oh my God. There's going to be some obscure things here. Not as many as you would think. Okay. Okada has. Yes. I don't think Naito has. Naito has. Naito has? Who did he wrestle? He wrestled in that six man at the last Forbidden Door. I didn't remember that. <laughs> Obviously, Omega has. Obviously, Jericho has. Tanahashi yep. has. Jay White has. Osprey has. Skrull wrestled it all in. 
but that I doesn't did, really count. Yeah, I don't recall if he, you know, the first AEW show was Double or Nothing. I Was he blacklisted by then? I, I don't think he was on that show. Yeah. Don't remember if Takahashi or Kushida have. Kushida has. He wrestled Darby Allen. When was that? It was on an episode of Dynamite this year. Uh, obviously, Minoru Suzuki has a shocking number of times. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> I can't remember seeing Goto. Goto and Yoshihashi wrestled a tag match against, I think, FTR about wow. a year ago, I want to say. Um, Sonata was at Forbidden Door this year against Jungle Boy Jack Perry. <laughs> God, yeah. stop saying that. What <laughs> I don't show. want to talk about that. And, like, I kept saying online that it was a joke at the time. People were like, oh, give him a chance. Jack Perry's a pretty big... Shut the fuck up. No. Remember when people used to like AEW? What a different time that was. Jesus Christ. Lance Archer obviously has... um, I'm going to say evil has, but I don't remember it. If he has, I couldn't find any evidence of it. But, unfortunately, evil Uno is obviously all over, so it's kind of difficult to tell. I uh, don't remember ever seeing Davy Boy Smith Jr. in AEW. There's a rumor he was going to be at All In a couple years ago, and then he wasn't. So, no, he hasn't been. No loss. Obviously, Cody has. Abushi has. Uh, Beretta no. has. Ishii has. Has Yano? Yano has not. Yeah. Which is fine, because I don't think he would really translate very well. Uh, I don't think the bull- Fale, Tamatonga, Tamaloa, I don't think have. I don't think they have, no. Uh, Michael Elgin is blacklisted, right? Yep. War Machine haven't. Sabre Jr. has. Has Izuka? Uh, no, 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 no. He actually retired, like, right after this. Yeah. Uh, Takami Shinoku, disappointingly, hasn't. We should get him on an episode of Dynamite. The fact that he's still wrestling as often as he is at his age is fucking nuts. (laughs) Also wild that him and Chris Jericho haven't randomly had a match on Dynamite. That would kick ass. Um, Juice Robinson has. Yep. Um, and the Bucks have. That is correct. That is all of the ones who have. So you only missed Naito and uh, Goto. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. But let's also be clear, uh, when we're talking about AEW is the North American expansion of yeah. New Japan, just understand that we you just named all but like seven people on this yeah. show. <laughs> like some of them have only done an appearance or two, but a lot of them are the building blocks of the pro like the building blocks of the promotion. Like when AEW started, the stars were Jericho, Cody, Omega, John Moxley, who was also working in New Japan at the time. Yep. Like that was the big four. And it's funny, too, because if AW doesn't happen also, John Moxley got so over in his initial yeah. run in Japan. Like, I don't think people even really realize how over. Like, he's like the second coming of Bruiser Brody there. Like, he is a god in that place. And he was only there for, like, three months. Yeah, I mean, was he really going to move to Japan? Probably not. Like, yeah, just, but like, real, like, but like I'm saying, if they had done but, an American offshoot, but, oh yeah, instead we got New Japan strong. Yeah, yeah. 
But less said about that, the better. <laughs> yeah. A wrap on an excellent and very interesting show. Always love doing these dome shows and just getting to do the recent history of New Japan. You know, I'm sure come next January, we'll be back to do uh, Wrestle Kingdom 13, which is the last one before the COVID pandemic hits. That is a good point. Well, technically, uh, the the one in 2020 happens just before the pandemic. So like, oh, that's they, right. They, like, this is 2018. Yeah, that's, that's right. They do get that one in right before the pandemic. Literally, they they reset the whole thing. They're prepared to go forward with a brand new generation, and everything's perfect. And then the world falls apart. Yeah, 14 in 2020. Oh yeah, Naito Okado to create the new title, yes. right? The new that was MVP. World that was Naito's moment, the one that he was stolen from here. That was the dream yeah. moment. Finally beat him. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. That sucks. He's the Drew McIntyre of New Japan. I got to tell you, I, I do love, like, if you listen to our Wrestle Kingdoms from, like, nine up till now, like, the way that you've learned so much about this product, and hopefully you guys at home have too. Like, the, there's nothing I love more in my life than sharing New Japan with people and helping it. Honestly, AEW more. has really helped because so many yeah. people wrestled in AEW. These shows make way more sense to me than I did than when I when we started doing this. Because it just takes so much time to explain what these characters even are. And if you've seen Minoru Suzuki on yeah. AEW, then you get it. <laughs> like, That's I don't have the to funniest explain. thing is I was listening back to one of them, and we spent like ten minutes explain who Minoru Suzuki was. And now everybody who watches AEW knows exactly who he is. But, like, if you had never seen him before, how would you explain that motherfucker to somebody? It's fucking impossible. Yeah. Okay. Well, next week we're going to go from the best of times to the worst of times. We're going <laughs> from modern New Japan to the 1995 WWF for Royal Rumble 1995. I'm really excited to revisit this. One of the things we love to do on this show is kind of poke holes in long held narratives. I'm interested to kind of see some more of Diesel's, t- take another look at Diesel's WWF title reign and see, you know, is it as bad as everybody remembers or, you know, why did it go wrong is the question I have about Diesel. And we'll try <laughs> to answer that next week. Yeah, the established narrative is just that he couldn't draw, everything he did was stupid, he was ruined right off the bat. That's not how I remember it from being a kid. Obviously, I was a kid, but I'm really looking their, forward to it. That was their target it. audience back then. Yeah, I thought Diesel was fucking rad. But we're going to get into that, and I'm going to see how much of kid me was actually right. Yeah, and a, you know, a bizarre Royal. This Royal Rumble match is basically a lightning round in and of itself. 38. It was a Royal Rumble. What the fuck? Yeah, they do it literally one minute intervals here. Guys are barely getting to the ring before they get the next guy out there, which is good because this match has no stars in it. Yep. So, yeah, we'll have all that more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.